Let's say you just bought a house. Bad news is, you're one step closer to becoming your parents. You'll proudly mow the lawn. Ask if anybody noticed you mowed the lawn. Tell people to stay off the lawn. Compare it to your neighbor's lawn. And complain about having to mow the lawn again. Good news is, it's easy to bundle home and auto through Progressive and save on your car insurance. Which, of course, will go right into the lawn. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company, affiliates, and other insurers. Discount not available in all stages situations. Okay, here we go. Now put it in reverse. Got it. Now forward. Okay. Reverse. Now turn the wheel. Turn the wheel. No, reverse. Reverse. Slow the down. Don't kill it. Kill it. Kill the motor. There's a reason they say cursed like a sailor. In reverse. Many reasons. Progressive's boat insurance has you covered. Quote today at Progressive.com. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Well, we're docked now. Part of the Almighty Baller Network. I am your host, Keith Smith, and I am joined by my good friend, Pete Toll. We are going to break down the 2017 NBA draft and all the deals that happened uh, just leading up to the draft and during the draft and all the picks and uh, go through it all. But first, Pete, how are you doing tonight? I'm doing great, Keith. Thanks again for having me. Yeah, absolutely. So I uh, will apologize if I'm a little punchy. We're recording this on Friday night. It's about a 7 o'clock, and I have had about 45 minutes of sleep in almost two days. So I am uh, going to try to soldier through as best we can here. Uh, Pete will keep me on track if I get a little too off-base or crazy and things like that. But what we're going to do in this show is we are going to go team by team through the draft and just talk everybody and what what happened at the draft, if they made trades, if they didn't, if they made picks, and just kind of go through and give our thoughts on how their draft went. Was it a good night, a bad night, uh, something in between, things like that. If you are listening and you want to hear a specific team, the order is going to be alphabetical by city. So we'll start with Atlanta Hawks and we will end with the Washington Wizards. So if you're looking for a specific team, you're not going to hurt our feelings. You know, go ahead and skip through and find your team. Um, as you go through it, you should be able to find it relatively easy um, with this. The show, just full disclosure, is probably going to run a little bit long, but that's okay because we're going to get super deep into this. Pete knows these a lot of these prospects inside and out from, uh, let's just call it some side work he might do. So he knows a lot of these guys as, as we go. Does Pete, is that fair? Yeah, that's fair enough. I, I'm pretty knowledgeable, so... I'm ready to jump into it. Absolutely. So let's kick it right off with the Atlanta Hawks, and uh, as as we like to hear during the during the draft uh, broadcast itself, we have a trade to announce. Um, so the Hawks, in the days leading up to the draft, they traded Dwight Howard in the 31st pick for Miles Plumley, Marco Bellinelli in the 41st pick from the Charlotte Hornets. So let's start there, Pete. What did you think about that trade for Atlanta? Um, well, from Dwight Howard's side of or Atlanta side of things with Dwight Howard first. Um, he wasn't really gelling in the locker room. I think you already had a little bit more immature type voice in Dennis uh, Schroeder. Um, and then you bring in Howard, who kind of has that playfulness, um, has kind of had issues with his past couple teams, um, wore thin a little bit um, there. And I think also um, they're able to, to save – um, some money 
obviously um, with Dwight Howard, they were looking for a little bit more uh, production. I think for me personally, Dwight Howard's more of a playoff type um, center than, you know, running through the season long term and, and just kind of be a natural fit. Um, for Atlanta, they get Plumley back, but more so I think what's important is they got Marco Bellinelli, who's another shooter, um, that can kind of take some pressure off of having to re-sign a guy like Tim Hardaway Jr. to a contract that might be a little bit much for, for um, you know, a lot of Atlanta fans' taste. Yeah, I had K.L. Chenard, who writes for AtlantaHawks.com, on this show to preview the Hawks offseason. One of the things that he said that really stuck with me is the belief that Travis Schlenk, who's the new GM of the Hawks, it has a number in mind for both Paul Millsap and Tim Hardaway Jr. And if things go past that number, they're going to wish them well in their new uh, new ventures and move on to whatever's next. And I think it's at this point for me, I'm going to guess for Millsap, he's going to be gone. I just can't see him coming back to the team. Hardaway Jr., I think that's going to depend on what ultimately where that number comes in. He's a restricted free agent, so the team can match on him. And I think the Howard trade is the first signs of it's it's time to maybe start rebuilding in Atlanta, which isn't is something they have not done in years. They have been they have one of the longer playoff streaks going in the NBA. They they're always kind of in there. Now it's other than that one year where they rose all the way to the top of the conference in the regular season. They're always kind of in that seven eight range and in that you know area it seems. But they are probably headed towards a new new thing, and that kind of leads me into the draft pick that they made. John Collins out of Wake Forest, he's really a very much a true power forward. Um, but so many of these power forwards are the, they're more of the stretch four variety. Collins has added a little bit of length to his jumper, but he to me, screams, he's going to be the Millsap replacement. Now, he's not the defender Paul Millsap is or really the all-around player on offense that Millsap has become, but Collins is a guy who you can get it to him inside and he can go get a bucket. What's your thoughts on that pick for Atlanta? Um, I like it in the sense that John Collins can score inside, um, and he's good in the pick and roll, especially um, I think he'll excel with with Schroeder there. Um, Good rebounder. Um, especially in the offensive end. The thing about him is that defense um, is really going to have to improve. Um, I know Collins led um, all of Division One basketball last year in PER, um, but that doesn't do anything for the defense. And, and I was kind of surprised that Atlanta didn't go for a guy like a Jared Allen because Jared Allen's more of the defensive side, um, since you have guys like Schroeder and, um, you know, potentially – uh, Torian Prince there and, and, you know, some guys that can score. But um, I will say I actually like the Collins pick. I think for all the knock that he has on his um, shooting, I think he actually has decent touch on his shot. He's just got to work on the consistency of knocking down a little bit more of a rangy shot out to about 18 feet or so. Yeah, I think he's mostly been a 15 and in guy from everything I saw. I, I, you know, full disclosure, I don't get the chance covering the NBA to watch as much college basketball as like as I would like. It tends to be more later in the year and then doing prep for the draft. But watching him late in the year, I 
I really kind of liked some of the things he does as far as he can put it on the floor for a couple dribbles if he has to and get to the basket. He doesn't have super, you know, great wingspan and le- wingspan and length, so that, you know, becomes somewhat of a challenge. But, you know, he can rebound the ball, he can score inside, and I think that's really going to help. In the second round, the Hawks added Tyler Dorsey and Alpha Kabah. Um, Dorsey is the point guard out of Oregon, I believe it is. Uh, yep. Let me do, yep. And then uh, Kaba is a foreign player, or Kaba, I guess it is, um, from mm-hmm. from France. He's six foot ten, forward center type. I'm gonna say right now. I know it just came out. He is gonna play summer league with the Hawks, but that screams draft and stash. He is very mm-hmm. young. He is only uh, just turned 21 in January, at the very end of January. So it's likely that he will return back overseas and play there. But let's talk about Tyler Dorsey because the Hawks. Now they've got some guys at point guard. They they have some some different um, options as far as their depth chart looks like. They've got Dennis Schroeder. They have Malcolm Delaney. So a couple different guys there. Dorsey is, you know, he he's a he's a shooter and he can play both spots. But to me, I from everything I remember seeing, and, and with Oregon making that good long run in the tournament, we got to see a lot of them in the tournament. He he's. He's kind of screams combo guard off the bench to me, but do you have thoughts on either one of those guys specifically? Um, I'll go with Dorsey first. Um, with him, it's the being able to pull up, you know, off the dribble. Um, really, to me, he's going to be more of a uh, point guard that um, I think everybody, including myself, thought that Malcolm Delaney was going to be last year. Except with Dorsey, I mean, he's going to be able to fill it up in a hurry. Um, rebounds well for his size. He's about six four and a half. Um, let's just say he's six five. Um, the only thing about him is he has a, not really a good left hand, um, and he doesn't have the greatest passing instincts. So he's going to be in there to kind of put buckets in in a hurry, especially in late game situations, things like that. With Kaba um, playing for Megalex, he basically is rail thin, um, but his upside is there. He's long and and athletic, so he's somebody that you could look at three years from now. By the time he's you know 23, 24, um, has the experience playing, um, you know, for a good team um, overseas, he can actually come over and, and hopefully um, come off the bench and, and you know do something for the Hawks. Yeah, and he he's got some range on his jumper, so he's the kind of guy who I think could down the line maybe pair well with Collins up front. Um, because he can stretch the floor maybe a little bit more than Collins will. But one thing for Hawks fans to remember is Paul Millsap couldn't shoot when he came out either. And, and he was okay at Utah, but then really turned himself into a quality three-point shooter with the Hawks. So just ha- have that faith that John Collins will probably stretch that range out and add that jump shot. So unless you get anything else on the Hawks, you ready to move on to the Boston Celtics? Yeah, let's go. All right. So the Celtics, big thing with the Celtics is despite a whole lot of bluster and noise, no trades. They ended up sticking with their pick. They didn't They didn't go get Jimmy Butler, who we're going to talk about in a little bit. Uh, all the Kristaps Porzingis rumors as the day uh, went on, nothing came to be there. Uh, so the Celtics have everything that they had going into draft night and still have that available to them. There, there are a lot more rumors that they're still working out with Paul George. There, there is some uh, belief that they may have something worked out, but 
order of operations says they have to go sign a Gordon Hayward or a Blake Griffin first. Then they can bring George in on a on a trade after. But that all remains to be seen. That's down the line. But then you know we'll, we'll have plenty to talk about on that as we get deeper into it. But let's let's get into the draft. Jason Tatum picked. With the number three pick overall, Danny Ainge said today that he would have drafted Tatum number one overall if the Celtics had stayed there. That's how much they like him. What are your thoughts on Jason Tatum? As a Duke fan, um, obviously um, I'm biased a little bit to, to Tatum. Um, with, he's an advanced scorer, um, good ball handler. The, the only thing with him um, that I worry about is um, with Boston having Jalen Brown, Jay Crowder, guys like that, I think what's going to suit um, Tatum better is if he actually plays the four position. Um, only thing there is his defense. He's a little bit flat-footed, um, which allows him to get blown by um, with defenders. Um, so we'll have to kind of see what happens. And then he has to be scoring in order to – um, kind of make a real difference. Um, and I know he's done a lot of work with Drew Hanlon through, um, you know, poor, pure sweat mm-hmm. and really worked on his shot. So I think he's adding the range. I just don't know that it's there yet. But I love, love, love um, him for the Celtics as far as a long-term fit. A lot of people wanted the Celtics to go with Josh Jackson, and I'm just higher on Tatum than I am on Jackson. Yeah, you know, and with Tatum, there's it's already started. People are like, well, we had Paul Pierce, who wasn't a super athlete, and you know, didn't have the you know greatest body. Now, now Pierce came in always the the, the term that always sticks with me with Paul Pierce is they called him Doughy when he came into mm-hmm. the NBA. Now Tatum is not that. Tatum's the opposite. He he needs a sandwich. Uh, you know, a few, yeah. a few of them, right? Um, but what I think is interesting is I think long term, you know, and obviously we don't know where Boston's going to be and what they're going to do, but I think he and Jalen Brown become a really good tandem. And I like what the Celtics have done as far as you get into those late game situations where it seems like more and more every team goes small. Well, both of them have the ability to slide up a position. Um, and, and Brown, Brown, I still contend he's more of a natural small forward, even though a lot of people seem to think he's just fine at the two, which he probably will be as he improves his shot. But I like the the option to have them out there together down the line. That's obviously, you know, probably not something you're going to see in crunch time very much this year with them both being first and second year guys and both uh, right around 20 years old. But that that's an interesting mix uh, for me. One thing for me with Tatum that he's going to have to do in order to play in Boston, and this was something that Jalen Brown figured out more so by the end of the year, he's got to do things with the ball quicker. Um, it's not, He's not a ball stopper. But he tends to get it in almost survey a little, and the Celtics' offense is based on getting that ball popping, moving from side to side. I think he's, he, can, he can do it, and he's smart enough to do it. He just needs to do it. And then you mentioned it. He's, he's got to get better defensively and figure things out, which that's part of what le- leads me to like him a little bit more at the four because I think his um, lack of elite athleticism is less of a problem if he's playing the four. Mm-hmm. I fully agree. All right, so then we're going to move into three guys in the second round for Boston. They drafted Semi Ojele um, or Ojele. Um, however, that gets said, we'll we'll learn that, or and I guess it's Shemi 
um, according to the official NBA pronunciation guide. So I'll, I'll butcher that about a thousand more times, and then I'll eventually turn and get angry at everyone else who butchers it once I know how to say it. Um, but they picked him up at 37. Now, this is a guy who – he was all over the place in mock drafts. He, some people had him in the 20s uh, going in the first round. There was others that had him you know, going early 30s, and the Celtics get him in the late 30s at 37. He's another kind of Duke guy. He started out there and transferred to SMU. He is, um, you know, he's, he's, he's big. Everybody keeps referring to this guy as a linebacker who plays basketball because he's just, you know, he's jacked, he's big, he's really smart. Um, he is... When I watched him, what he kind of reminds me a little bit of is Jay Crowder. You know, a big, strong wing. Yeah, right. He's just a big, strong wing guy who can do some things. He's got to shoot it better to find a fit in the NBA long term. I I think he's probably going to log a lot of time with the main Red Claws in the NBA G League um, as as the Celtics try to develop him. But what are your thoughts on Shemi? Uh, defender, first and foremost, uh, athletic. He kind of has a mix of um, the athleticism of Stanley Johnson mixed with the defensive prowess um, once he gets a little bit more of a feel for the NBA of a Jay Crowder. Um, he can knock down kind of that, that NBA range uh, three. Um, his release isn't the quickest. Um, he's another Drew Hanlon guy through pure sweat. Hanlon's been working on the speed of a shot. Um, it looked good in, in videos and stuff that he was doing, but I want to see it in an NBA game. Um, the only other thing about him that kind of worries me a little bit is he's already 22, um, and he went from Duke to SMU, which is, in my opinion, just a little bit of a step down as far as who they play on a on a nightly basis. But, um, you know, as a hard worker and, you know, definitely I think in, in a year or two after playing in the G League, he'll – He'll get a shot on on the main club and, and hopefully be able to produce. Yeah, and then uh, Celtics went to went to the Pac-12 for their two later second round picks, Kadeem Allen and Jabari Bird. Allen is he is what Danny Ainge loves in a guard. He is all defense all the time with a very shaky at best offensive game. He did improve his shot uh, as a senior. Uh, he played at Arizona, but he's a kind of combo sized guard. He's you know think, think a uh, slightly worse version of Terry Rozier, Marcus Smart, Avery Bradley. And that's what Kadeem Allen is, but you know he gets after it. Uh, I, I can't, it was one of the Draft Express guys. I can't remember which one um, tweeted that he's going to have a 10-year NBA career. So, so we'll see. You know, maybe it'll um, work out for him. And then Jabari Bird. This is a guy who was a pretty big-time recruit, if I remember right, coming out of high school, and he was. Okay at Cal, he never really became you know what everybody thought he you know he's a, he was supposed to be a really good knockdown shooter and that didn't quite develop I think the way people had hoped it would. Uh, he did he was a teammate of Jalen Brown last year for Brown's uh, one year at Cal, and then this year that Cal team really kind of went off the rails a little bit. Um, you know, so that was uh, you know, tough to tough to get a good read on some of their guys, at least for for me, uh, not seeing them all the time. But any quick thoughts on either one of those two guys? And it, sorry, before before I let you answer that, neither one of these guys is likely to make the team. They're probably G League guys, or the Celtics may be okay if either one of them goes overseas. But now I'll kick it to you for your thoughts. Well, Bird is definitely going to probably end up overseas. Um, I just don't see him as an NBA caliber player. I was surprised he got drafted 
with Kadeem Allen, I was surprised he got drafted, but then I thought about it. And um, Mike Schmidt was the one you mentioned that the 10-year career, Mike Schmidt was the one that okay. um, said that. And um, obviously, he exactly as you said, he likes, uh, he's a defender, and that's what Danny Ainge likes. And the only thing that popped in my mind as far as him being picked um, and all is, well, maybe if, you know, down the line of Rozier or um, Bradley or Smart, um, one of the, you know, a couple of those guys get moved in, a, in some kind of deal, you know, to – to be able to, to pull in Gordon Hayward or Paul George or a combo of both, maybe somehow, some way at the very end of the bench guy, um, Kadeem Allen may possibly find a way to make the team. I don't think it happens, but defensively I think he has tools that could allow him to absolutely thrive in the NBA. Now the offensive game, he's never going to give you more than, you know, four or five points um, at a time, you know, get transition buckets or something like that. He's not going to be a go-to scorer or anything like that. Yeah, so that um, you know closes it out. If you're a Celtics fan listening to this, uh, your draft, it, I, I'm very happy with Tatum for the Celtics. I think he is going to be really, really good. I'm really happy they, that they got Ojale in the second round. I think he's going to be you know a player eventually down the line. And I do think um, one of the two out of Allen or Bird may pan out to be a roster guy at some point. But you know what I am. Um, you know, most looking forward to now is what's next. And, you know, they're going to do something. I, I don't know what it is. I'm not going to re- report anything here because um, there's nothing new to report, but they're going to do something. Danny Age has been building towards doing something big, and this summer he's going to pull that off. But now let's move on to the to the team that has been linked to Boston. They're going to be linked together for one more year, the Brooklyn Nets. So the Brooklyn Nets before the draft and then made official at the draft – they traded Brooke Lopez in the 27th pick to the Los Angeles Lakers for D'Angelo Russell and Timothy Mozgov. Different sort of deal on both sides. The, the Nets were looking to pick up a good, young talent, and they got that in Russell. Um, I am a, I'm not a huge D'Angelo Russell fan, but I like and think he will be pretty good. Uh, for the Nets, so I think that there is a chance that he can do some good things um, for them. I think he'll develop. I think he will build himself into a player there. I think it was a little unfair, some of the things that got put on him and said about him as he was leaving Los Angeles, so I think that's a good pickup. Mozgov is, yes, he's overpaid. Yes, it's a bad contract, but people act like the guy's completely useless, (laughs) and he's not. You know, he can still defend and rebound, protect the rim, do some things. He's, he, you know, stays in his lane offensively. So, yeah, overpaid, but he's not a completely useless player. He just – the Lakers didn't need him. The Lakers went in a different direction last year. And it hurts to see Brooke Lopez leave the Nets. He's actually the Nets' all-time leading scorer. Um, I know I, a lot of people may not know that. But it was probably time. He was probably not in their plans long-term anyway. So what's your thoughts on the value the Nets were able to get for Lopez in the 27th pick? Well, I think with D'Angelo Russell, um, you got to keep in mind he's still young. And he's going to make mistakes. But what really, really intrigues me the most about Russell – um, being in Brooklyn is not only the opportunity um, to kind of get away from the spotlight of L.A. and kind of do his own thing, but Kenny Atkinson is the head coach, and we all know his um, player development prowess uh, back from his days, of, of course, with Atlanta. And I think he's going to get the most out of Russell. And um, With Russell right now, he's got Jeremy Lin there um, that kind of knows a little bit of 
pressure of expectations and um, especially after his time in New York and, and just trying to live up to that. And, and I think he can mentor Russell um, if he's, you know, there uh, once training camp comes. And um, with Mozgov, I mean, he's there as a stop cape. Um, they, they have their center potentially for the future who they got in the draft. We'll, we'll talk about that in a minute. But um, Mozgov, like you said, he just needs to be there to protect the rim, you know, give them a good 15 minutes a game, um, you know, and basically just protect the rim, get a couple putbacks, a couple rebounds, things like that. Nothing. He's not going to set the world on fire. And it's not the worst contract ever in the world. I mean, it's not great, but, you know, for what they need in uh, Brooklyn, I mean, I think actually Moscow fits pretty well. Yeah, and, and it's not like the, the Nets are contenders. So it's not like he's eating right. off cap space that they're going to use another way. So so you mentioned it. Let's move into the draft. Jerry Allen was the pick with the Nets' first-round pick that they um, did keep, which they, they had two of them. One was dealt, and then they kept one, and they picked Jared Allen. He's a big man out of uh, Texas. He's a really good um, skilled offensive player. He, he's you know big kid. He's got a got a really big wingspan um, from everything that I remember reading leading up to the draft and just from watching. He um, you know probably needs to add a little bit of weight, but he is really skilled around the basket. He can get up and uh, get there. He can run the floor really well. And then on the defensive end, he can block some shots. Probably needs to you know just learn how to play NBA level defense, which is. Probably something I shouldn't say because that's just a throwaway comment that's true of every one of these guys um, outside of a couple. Um, but what are your thoughts on Allen for the Nets? I actually like the pick because he has tremendous upside. He's 6'10 with a 7'5 wingspan, which is, you know, phenomenal. Um, very able to throw down dunks and um, has basically has the ability to, to run to the rim, which fits with. D'Angelo Russell perfectly, put him in the pick and roll, let him get to the rim. The thing that I worry is, obviously, with his slight frame, um, he does not like any kind of contact inside. And in the NBA, obviously, the centers are, you know, more of a dying breed, so to speak, and you're going to more small ball. So he can get away with not having the most contact, but that's where he's going to be able to thrive is having that 7-5 wingspan, bumbling guys out of the way to get rebounds and, you know, kind of ignite a, a fast break with D'Angelo Russell, run the floor, and then get it right back um, on the offensive end for a lob or um, a quick finish at the rim. And he's got to improve on his shot. If he's going to play center in the NBA, he's going to have to add some kind of shot. Right now it's just not very good. I mean, he has decent form, but it's just not very good of a shot. Like he barely can hit anything past about 12 feet, uh, 12 foot shot. Yeah, and to that point, the Nets had built a system where it was a five-out system, and all five guys would launch threes, especially Brooke Lopez. You know, he he made more than he had ever taken in a season by uh, at least, I think it was probably pretty close to ten times the the multiplier of, you know, threes made versus threes attempted in his entire Mm -hmm. career leading into last year. So a little bit of a different look out of Allen for sure. In the second round, the Nets drafted Alexander Vezenkov. He's probably not going to come over. He's probably going to stay over in Europe, um, but we will see with him. He's a shooter, um, potential to be an elite shooter. The challenge is that's really all he can do. You know, he's a smart guy. He can move the ball. He's a willing passer um, out there. He's a pretty good core vision, but 
he, he doesn't really play defense. He's not athletic at all. He probably he's only about six foot eight, which hurts because he his best role would probably be as a stretch four in the NBA, but he's probably not big enough to give you what you need out of that role on the defensive end or on the glass. So so we'll see on him. Really, really not a lot to be said. I don't even know if you have any thoughts on him at all. I mean, he's a good young player. For He uh, finally got to get some minutes for Barcelona uh, this year. But as far as coming over, he's, he's 21. He'll be 22 um, August the 6th. I think – it's going to be somebody that basically his rights are just held. I don't think he'll ever make it over uh, to the NBA. He just doesn't fit a need um, anywhere. Like you said, he's one-dimensional to where all he can do is shoot. And it looks good, but he doesn't rebound. He doesn't defend. He can't shoot off the dribble or do anything um, of that nature. So there's really not a, a need for him. But I think overseas um, he can excel, especially – um, you know, in the in the Spanish league um, and in the Euro league um, moving forward. Yeah, so yeah, I think we're both in the same boat. Don't expect to see him anytime soon, and you know, and then, and then watch. He'll turn out to be one of these guys who shows up when he's about 27 and sets the league on fire for a year or two. <laughs> um, yeah, I'm sure. Right, that always happens. So now let's get into the Charlotte Hornets. So let's talk the other end of the Dwight Howard trade. So Plumlee and Bellinelli. Plumlee's not no loss for Charlotte. It doesn't. They they really didn't need him when they traded for him at the the deadline last year, which was a head scratching move. Bellinelli, he was you know their top uh, shooter off the bench, but you know he's kind of an up and down guy. You know again, not really um, a super need there. We'll get into they more than replaced him at the draft at least in my opinion. So what do you think Dwight Howard does for Charlotte? And the specific question I want to ask is, how do they work out the front court rotation? Because now they've got Howard, Cody Zeller, who had a really nice year last year when he, when he was healthy, Frank Kaminsky, and Marvin Williams all up front. So how do they make that work in Charlotte? It's going to be interesting because you look at Dwight Howard, he's only going to probably be able to give you 24 strong minutes um, a game, and you're kind of taking away from Cody Zeller's, you know, pretty good season um, if you bring Howard and start him. So I think that Zeller could end up um, being somebody that they try to shop around and, and see if they could maybe move um, if they're all in on the white. The thing about Kaminsky is he actually ended the year at the center spot, and they were intrigued with that look because. He can knock down the outside shot, take guys off the dribble, and get to the rim as well, as well as playing in the post. And then you've got Marvin Williams, which um, is a veteran and started most of the year last year at power forward. So it's going to be interesting. I think that somehow, some way, they find a deal for Cody Zeller, um, you know, around the league. And it actually would have been um, kind of perfect if, if uh, Brooklyn, um, who we just talked about, had taken on somebody like a Cody Zeller, maybe – had given Charlotte back Jeremy Lin or something of the nature. I don't really know. You're the cap guru guy. I don't know how those uh, contracts would have worked out as far as the salary or anything, but something along that line where it would have balanced things out. But that's before um, Charlotte made the pick uh, to get Malik Monk. So now I don't really see the need to to really bring in a guy like, um, you know, Lynn to Charlotte because I think Monk will be able to play the combo role. But, um, overall, I like Dwight in, in Charlotte because I think with Steve Clifford, he'll get the, the most out of him. 
And it'll be interesting to see um, if Dwight Howard actually um, does incorporate the three ball in his game because with me going to uh, various Hawks games uh, last year before uh, my son was born, I, I went to four games last year. Every one of them in warm-ups, uh, Dwight Howard would be jacking up threes, and he actually hit a fair number of them um, you know, from a set-shot shot position. So it'll be interesting. Yeah, I'm going to tell you right now, no way. No, I mean, now I probably would have said the same about Brooke Lopez, but Brooke Lopez at least had always shown a decent a uh, decent mid-range jumper. I mm-hmm. there, No no way Dwight Howard adds a three-point shot. If, if he does, uh, I don't know what I'll do, but I'll, we'll figure out something. That I'll I say this, do. though. I'll yeah, say this. I think, I think Dwight Howard could add the three-ball in before he adds a legitimate post game. Yeah, I'll go this far. Neither one of those has happened. <laughs> this there you go. Hey, all right. Cool. <laughs> you, know, so, um, you know, but with that said, I still I, I like the deal. It just makes the front court confusing. I've seen a lot of people say, well, you start Howard, slide Zeller over to the to the four, Marvin Williams down to the three. Zeller, we've seen it. He's not a four. And Williams, he's not a three anymore, not at this point in his career. Yeah, they could do it. And, and it may be one of those things where that maybe that's the group that starts and then, you know, five minutes into the game, Howard's out, and then everybody slides to different spots. We'll, we'll have to see, you know, where it goes um, with that. But, um, you know, it's, I, I still like the move, and, and I'm putting a lot into get him back with Steve Clifford and see if they can, you know, kind of recapture that and make things work. But... You know, I will say um, this with the uh, the Hornets. They got one of the best value picks in the entire draft with Malik Monk. Monk uh, was every year there's that guy who slides further than anybody thought he was going to. And this year that was Malik Monk. He ended up, you know, sliding down to the Hornets, and he fits in there basically perfectly um, for what they need. They they need another shooter who can um, come in. I personally don't think he's going to start. I've seen a lot of people, oh, I think he starts, you know, day one. I think he's going to play that Bellinelli role off the bench, um, at least until he's comfortable. And I don't, I don't know that a, a Walker Monk backcourt works against a lot of teams. It might be a little too small um, with that. But, you know, what are your thoughts on Malik Monk for the Hornets? Well, you're absolutely right. First and foremost, Monk is going to come off the bench because you've got Nicholas Batum there to play at the two. You've got Kid Gilchrist there to play at the three. Um, so I don't really see how Monk would be able to, to start. Um, I know fans get excited once the, you know, new draftees come in and things like that. But um, Monk has very good quickness. Obviously, coming off the dribble, he is going to shine um, for that. You know, for the Hornets, um, he can finish near the rim. But the thing is, is he doesn't really drive to the rim a lot. Um, thing about him is, he's not really going to be able to play the point guard uh, role a lot. Maybe you know, three, four minutes here or there. But you know, he's not a great passer. Um, so I think for him, it's going to be um, just a little tiny bit of adjustment. I think you can see maybe um, November first you know, a week or two of December trying to figure out uh, the speed of the NBA, and then he is just going to light it up. Um, and, and I like um, Monk kind of like a Lou Williams, um, Zach Levine kind of mold, where he is just going to fill it up from, from three-point land and, and really give a pop. You know who my comp was for him the more I watched him? Early mm-hmm. Ben Gordon. Ben Gordon oh. with the Bulls. 
That's who yeah. he reminded me of. People forget Ben Gordon was really, really good with Chicago. And, 20 point score. Yeah, and you know what? The what got it for me was I was watching, you know, like anybody should if they're they're smart, is watch as the Draft Express highlight videos because it's it's all right there, right? You need to be doing that. And I was like, man, he gets a lot of lift on his jumper for a guy. He's only six three. He's not that big, you know. And mm-hmm. he's kind of got that that like strong upper body build. Um, it looks like 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 where he you know could kind of get through contact to get up for that jumper. And I was like, he reminds me of somebody. And then it came, and I'm like, it's Ben Gordon. And Ben Gordon was a lot like that, where he got really good lift on the jumper and those kind of things. Um, ben Gordon was at his best when he was a bench scorer come in, you know, and, and Ben Gordon, you know, might have come off the bench and played 25, 30 minutes a night, you know, it wasn't a 10 minute a night bench roll. So that's, um, you know, if, if Monk gets there, you know, I think it's a success, but I think he has good potential to be even better than that um, down, down the line. And then their second guy that they ended up uh, coming away from in the draft was Dwayne Bacon. He is a guard forward, probably more of a guard than a forward out of Florida State. He's going to be 22 a little bit later this summer at the end of August. Big, big kid. Uh, give us a little bit on Dwayne Bacon. He's a high usage guy. That um, he is going to fill up the D league or G league. I'm sorry, I knew I was going to do that. <laughs> yeah, we're um, both going to do that. Don't don't beat yourself up. <laughs> the G league. He's going to fill it up. He's a guy that's versatile. He can give you you know a good 20, 20 to 22 points. You know, five rebounds. You know, five assists you know, kind of night, and, and I just don't, as far as his, as his prospects um, in the NBA, he just doesn't scream upside to me. I think kind of what we saw um, at the end of the year for Florida State uh, for Dwayne Macon is, you know, kind of what you're going to see. You know, he can fill it up, but it's it's more on the one-dimensional side. And, you know, it's funny is he was acquired in a draft night trade from New Orleans, originally drafted him, traded him, to Charlotte for the draft rights to Frank Jackson, and we'll talk more about Jackson when we get to New Orleans. But I would have liked Jackson more for the uh, for the Hornets. They actually needed a backup point guard. They they don't mm-hmm. really have anybody behind Kemba Walker because Ramon Sessions is is a free agent in addition to not being the answer. Uh, so that is you know a little bit interesting there. But charge uh, Michael Jordan who. You know, is it is probably hard up for cash? I guess he got a little bit of cash in the deal as well. So, so that's where that one went. So now let's move on to Michael Jordan's former team. And this team, this is probably a team we're going to spend a good amount of time on. I would say the Chicago Bulls. So, so the Bulls' big move was to trade Jimmy Butler, their All Star, All NBA guy. They traded him to the Minnesota Timberwolves along with the 16th pick in the draft. For Zach Levine, Chris Dunn, and the seventh pick in the draft, which they used to draft Lowry Markkinen, that big uh, stretch four big man from the University of Arizona, and he's from Finland originally. Brief thoughts from me before I kick it to you, Pete, on the trade is I I didn't like it. I feel like they should have been able to get more for Jimmy Butler. Um, I don't. I didn't like the Markkinen pick. I am not a big Zach Levine fan in the sense that he's coming off a torn ACL and is up for a new contract. 
I love Chris Dunn. He's a Providence College guy. Um, you know, grew up in that area. Went to a ton of Providence College games. He's his head coach at PC. Ed Cooley was one of my teachers in high school, so I watch as much uh, Providence College as I can. And but the thing beyond all that, what really tips it is why in the world do they have to give up the 16th pick. That doesn't make any sense to me. They did this at the trade deadline where they unnecessarily threw a, threw a pick in when they traded Taj Gibson and Doug McDermott to the Oklahoma City Thunder. I just don't understand what's going on in Chicago. And then we'll talk about another move they made that made even less sense to me with their direction. But give me your thoughts on the on the big trade. Well, first of all, it's terrible, terrible, terrible um, for the Chicago Bulls side. How in the world do you give up, like you just said, the 16th pick in the draft? When you're giving up the best player in the trade, like that makes no sense whatsoever to me. Um, and then to get back Chris Dunn, I think that um, Dunn's defensive ability is there. I think he's a, a above average defender and it's going to get better. But offensively, I have so many questions because – you already have Cameron Payne, who you didn't play after you traded for him at the trade deadline. Then you have potentially Rajon Rondo if you um, pick up the option. And then you have Darian Grant. I, I understand, you know, necessarily none of those guys that I mentioned uh, previously just a second ago are outstanding guys that pop pop out to you. So Dunn is intriguing, but I just I would have gotten a whole lot more. Levine probably won't play till December, January. He's coming off the ACL injury. Obviously, super athletic, but he cannot defend, and he shoots a lot of shots that are just kind of not something that I would want my shooting guard potentially to take. And now he's potentially going to be behind Dwayne Wade for a season, and so it just makes no sense. And then. You get the seventh pick, and I'm like, okay, you know, here we go. You know, seventh pick, you can do something with it. And then you draft Laurie Markkinen, who's a clone of Nikola Mirotic, and actually in a better shooter, but a worse rebounder and probably a worse defender, I think. Um, I just – I don't get it. Yeah, I – yeah, there's – so much about their roster construction. I know you touched on the point guards, but, I mean, there was a point where two years ago there was a question if Zach Levine's best position was point guard. There was, you know, still a thought that that's where he should have been play, playing more. You know, so it's – my guess is Rajon Rondo is going to be gone now. I can't see mm-hmm. any way he returns to this team. It would not make sense to me for him to be back. It just seems like he needs to, to – they need to move on from him. If for no other reason, then no team needs that many point guards on the roster. You know, it's ridiculous. They And they they went and got their point guard of the future, I thought, at the trade deadline and campaign um, last year. And then, you know, and that, I, I didn't understand at that time. Now, you know, I still believe Chris Dunn will be a quality NBA player. I think he – some people were like, he's already on the older side, which is true. But that doesn't mean it's going to come faster for me. He was still a rookie. You know, it's still going to take some time. So it'll be interesting to see, you know, ultimately where this goes. But this team is, they're quite frankly a mess. I will be shocked if Dwayne Wade finishes out the season in Chicago. I think he he's a candidate for a buyout. And you know what? Good for Dwayne Wade for saying, I'm still picking up that option. They were the ones who gave it to him to, to do. 
Go get your money. Then if they don't want you, let them come to you to get you off the roster and buy you out. And then he'll go and he'll link up with you know wherever Chris Paul or LeBron James or Carmelo Anthony, wherever one of his buddies lands, he'll go link up with them and go. And the unfortunate thing for Chicago is I don't see an easy way back. You know from this, you, you just you know Jimmy Butler is one of the top. I don't know, 15, maybe 20 on the low end, guys in the entire NBA. You're just, you know, and it's not like he was uh, 34 years old. He's, you know, right in the, you know, prime years of his career. So it's not, I obviously did, didn't like it, but, you know, but it, for the sake of time, you know, and, and for the sake of poor Bulls fans out there, we'll move off it for a minute. But give me a couple quick thoughts on on Markinen. I know you mentioned, uh, you know, similar in game to Nikola Mirotic, and we'll have to see if that impacts his return as a restricted free agent or not. Um, but a- anything beyond that on him? Well, I think Mirotic comes back, as sad as that sounds, because um, I know he slumped a lot um, with um, Chicago last year. With Markinen, he's chaining pride in like, he shoots from three, doesn't like to go inside. He gets out-rebounded by small guards. Um, I think it was Jay Billis that said he's seven foot, but he plays like he's six five. Yeah. And that actually, I had to laugh because I was thinking the same thing. I'm like, he doesn't like to bang inside. Defensively, he just doesn't, he has no fundamentals. Um, and he can't score against length. So it flashed me back to... Nicholas Skidis Bealy that was drafted in O <laughs> two by Denver. And that is all I can think. Like he lit it up in summer league and then it was like tankville from there um, for his career. And Markinen, unless he really, really works, um, is not gonna be um, a good pick for Chicago. Not for now, if he had been picked at like twenty two or something like that, then I would say, okay, or even late lottery. You know, at the bottom end of the lottery, I could have said, okay, I can justify it. But to get that seventh pick and you gave up um, Jimmy Butler in that, that's what's going to basically be the defining and, and have so much pressure on marketing. But on one, I always like to end on a positive. On the positive side, he does have Fred Hoiberg as a coach that can find creative ways for him uh, to fit into the offense. So we shall see. Yeah, I, I you know, he's going to give them shooting. You know, from that position, he, you know, maybe he develops into one of those stretch fives who, you know, if you pair him with the right kind of power forward, somebody who's willing to do the dirty work, uh, you know, maybe it ultimately works there. Like you said, we'll see. But the other head-scratching move, the one that just, you know, I was like, all right, well, they rebound. They made a solid pick in the second round with Jordan Bell. But then they turned right around and sold him to the Golden State Warriors. And who's Jordan Bell's probably biggest comp that we heard repeatedly? Draymond Green. And it just is one of those things where it's like, what in the world? You know, the, the rich get richer in Golden State, so we'll talk about Belmore when we get there. But when you're in Chicago and you're obviously entering a phase where you're going to probably start a rebuild, a guy like Jordan Bell helps you with that. He's the guy you want to have. He's the second-round pick, so you're going to have him on a cheap contract. Probably You could probably sign one of those three- or four-year contracts for him and bring him in and have him be there. You need front-court depth. He he might have fit really nice next to Markinen, you know, as a, as a guy who could play play up front. But you know, we'll we'll talk more about him when we get to Golden State. And I guess my uh, my only solace for Chicago fans is the Cubs are the defending World Series champs. You still got that you can live off of. <laughs> yeah, that's about all you can live off of, especially yeah, right. when uh, John Paxson and Gar Forming 
they come out and say, well, we're more or less doing a rebuild. And then on top of that, they don't want to spend much money this summer. So it's like, okay, so what's going to happen with this roster? Because it's a mess right now. Yeah, it, and that's a, absolutely it's a mess. So we'll we'll see. You know, it's a long way from being complete. So maybe there's yeah. something bigger we don't see. But all right, let's move to the Cleveland Cavaliers. For the time we spent on Chicago, we're going to make it up with Cleveland. They were the only team that 100% sat out and did nothing related to the draft. Even the Washington Wizards, you know, made a trade um, linked to the draft. But the Bulls had no picks. They didn't buy a pick, despite rumors that they tried. They did, or excuse me, the Bulls, the Cavs, rather, um, didn't buy a pick. There was rumors that, that they tried. They did not uh, do, they didn't do anything. No trades of any sort. They just kind of sat there. It's That's what happens when you fire your front office days before the draft. And not, not to knock the guys who are sitting there in the interim chairs, but you're probably not going to get anything done. So, you know, we're, we're not going to spend any time on that. We already beat them up on other shows about, you know, letting go of David Griffin. I've already had, you know, more than my, you know, fill of talking about that. But, yeah, so the Cavs did nothing. So let's move on to the Dallas Mavericks. Dennis Smith Jr., a guy who a lot of people had rated not that far behind Markel Fultz and Lonzo Ball as one of the top point guards in the draft, drops all the way to Dallas at ninth. Thoughts on Dennis Smith Jr.? I was one of those that had him uh, pretty high. I actually slotted him in going to Orlando because I thought that he would be um, kind of a change of pace to um, you and a lot of Alfred people. Payton. You yeah. and a lot of people, yeah. Yeah, but um, obviously explosive athlete. Um, coming off the, the um, tearing his ACL, left ACL in high school, um, you know, kind of hindered him a little bit, and, and people wondered, okay, well, did that contribute to his – poor defensive effort at NC State. But what people don't realize is NC State was, I think it was 229th in the country on defense. So it wasn't just Dennis Smith. They just don't play defense. Um, yeah, that team, I, I like I said, I don't watch a lot of college basketball, but I watched them in the ACC tournament and a handful of games down the stretch. They, they were a mess. There's no other way to put it. They, they, they looked like a team that had a lot of NCAA, or NBA talent, that was just running around with no semblance of doing anything coordinated. So, yeah, I would have put a lot of stock in the fact that his team stunk and, you know, sometimes his numbers weren't great. And what, what I liked with Smith is one of his first comments was, I want to learn to play defense. Yeah. Um, because obviously that's what's going to get you playing time under Rick Carlisle. I think Smith starts from day one. I think the fit with um, Harrison hey, Barnes. Sorry to interrupt you. They already said he is going to start. Uh, oh, okay. Yeah, he did say that. He said Dennis Smith Jr. will be our starting point guard, you know, right out of the good. gate. So, and he should be. Good. But go ahead. I yeah, think you were I talking think, about Harrison Barnes. Yeah, I think with, with Harrison Barnes there, um, I think you absolutely have to bring Nervin so well back. And, and just imagine um, with Dennis Smith being so great in creating space, if he's not able, uh, although he has elite scoring potential, if he's not able to kind of get his shot off, he can throw a lob up to, to Nerlens Noel, and there you go, easy points. And um, I, I think he's going to thrive in, in Dallas, and, and I'm really, really excited for Dennis Smith's potential uh, as an NBA player. Yeah, I think you're going to see the Mavericks play a lot of splits where they really space the floor well with Barnes and Dirk spacing out uh, to the arc, and then Seth Curry coming off of those two as well, and that that's going to create a lot of driving lanes for Smith, as you said, and then when they um, 
when they come to help, Nerlens is fantastic finishing at the rim. So, you know, I, I like a lot of what they're doing down there in Dallas. I think, you know, that's that's taking advantage when a player falls to you, you know, making something happen. And, you know, he could, if, if his head is screwed on right, which all indications are that it is, he couldn't be in a better place than learning from Rick, Car- Rick Carlisle. So, all right, let's move on to the Denver Nuggets. So the Nuggets swung a trade. They traded the 13th pick to the Utah Jazz for Trey Lyles and the 24th pick, which they ultimately then turned into uh, Tyler Lydon um, out of Syracuse. So Trey Lyles coming into Denver. This one's interesting. I I didn't think I didn't get a chance to think a whole lot about it at the draft. Things are going so you know fast and furious. And then more today, I was like, you know, what it does is it opens up some interesting possibilities. Uh, I've heard a lot of reports that the Jazz had soured on Lyles. They just they he wasn't what they wanted him to be. They weren't getting the the play out of him that they'd hoped to see and there were some rumors of maybe the effort wasn't always there from him so so we'll have to see you know what that looks like in Denver but Denver is a team that you know they're going to be Nikola Jokic can make a lot of guys look good as his front court partner and Lyles can do just enough things as far as shooting the ball and playing inside that I think he could fit you know, really nicely in in alongside Nikola Jokic in some minutes. Um, and then Tyler Lydon, he's more of a stretch guy. Uh, correct me if I'm wrong on that, but I believe, you know, that's his, his profile. Um, he mm-hmm. seems to project a, similar to Juancho Hernan Gomez, who they drafted last year. So so we'll see. It, it really feels like Denver kind of has a type with, the, with their bigs. They want them to be able to step out and shoot the ball some, which is good. That's, you know, where we're headed in the in the league. But thoughts on the trade and Lyles and Lydon coming into Denver? You're, you're absolutely correct. I think Utah soured on, on Lyles. Uh, he played at the beginning of the season and then just all of a sudden just fell off the map. Like, he, he's not able to knock down shots. And um, if you're not able to knock down shots, then there was no point to kind of play him. And yeah, I think sorry, I'm, t- I'm going to interrupt you real quick. This is a Utah team that resorted to having to play Joe Johnson major minutes at the four, which turned mm-hmm. out to be a revelation and worked out fantastic for both Johnson and the Jazz. But it wasn't like there wasn't minutes available for Lyles to go snag with favors missing time, them not wanting to you know push Boris Diaw too hard. You know there were minutes there, and he he couldn't seize that that opportunity to to go. But go ahead, finish finish up your point. Um, what I think with, with Lyles and then getting Leiden is it gives them versatility for the offseason because now you have guys like Kenneth Bree that's kind of been on the block forever, Darrell Arthur, um, those kind of guys, and then Wilson Chandler, you know, guys that have all been mentioned in trades, you know, throughout the last season or two, you have flexibility that you can make a trade. And I was actually – um, surprised in the reports came out after the draft that, that Denver themselves were disappointed they couldn't pull off a trade. Because um, at first, I was like, what is Denver doing? Like, this makes no sense. Um, because Leiden, they could have potentially gotten in the second round, I thought. I think, personally, their um, prospect that they were trying to go after was OG Ananobi, but then he got picked right ahead of them, and it just kind of threw them off. But um, going back to Leiden real quick, um, obviously very good shooter with NBA range, um, very quick release, um, can make passes, um, and is actually a very good cutter. The thing about him is he's not um, very athletic, and he does not have the quickest first step. So um, he's going to be a guy that you basically you know spots up on the perimeter and plays that way. 
I think he's going to end up kind of being down on the depth chart, and um, you're going to see a guy that's more of a high energy guy like Juancho Hernan Gomez play ahead of him. But I don't, I don't hate the pick for for Lighting. It just wasn't kind of where um, I thought the the best pick for them could have been. Yeah, and then in the second round, Denver drafted Vlatko Chanchar. That's how you say that. I know it looks like it says Kansar or anything like that, but those little accent marks, that makes it say Ch. So it's Vlatko Chanchar. He is, um, you know, he is a, uh, a European prospect, a guy who he's, he's young as well. He is only, uh, just had it up here. He, 20. Yeah, he's only 20. Yeah, it doesn't even turn, uh, 21 until April of next year, so won't even turn 21 until almost the NBA season's over. So I would be shocked if he's in the NBA um, next year anytime soon. But you know, good good looking player. You got got a couple quick thoughts on him, Pete? Um, well, he was a teammate of um, Kaba for Megalex. Yep. Um, and Megalex so, did well in this draft, by the way. They had a <laughs> guys get get picked, but they, uh, they did. Um, he can slash and get to the rim. He's a guy that's going to take a while to uh, develop, only being 20. I mean, he's somebody that I could see Denver bringing over, um, you know, for summer league, you know, a year or two from now and just kind of get them experience. But he's somebody I don't ever really see uh, making the NBA. Um, was it – is that Cornelli is how, how you say it? Their yeah, Cornelli. 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 Yeah, I could see Cornelli. him coming over by next season and – uh, being a part of the team before I see um, Vlatko doing anything as far as the NBA. I like that you just went with the Vlatko. That's probably the easier uh, way to go. Good, good work with that one. Um, and then they drafted Monte Morris, the point guard out of Iowa State. I'm going to go out on a limb and say Monte Morris plays more minutes for the Denver Nuggets this year by the end of the season and is part of the rotation, higher up in the rotation, I should say, than Emmanuel Moutier. And now I'm going to cheat a little bit because I don't think Moutier is going to be there. I think he's going to be gone. Um, but but Morris is a guy, when you talk to NBA scouts, and I did, they they always talked about he just knows how to play. He's a, he's a smart kid. He can do a lot of good things out on the court. He's, he's a little limited as an athlete, a little, again, on the older side. He's uh, about to turn 22 here in a couple of days. So, you know, that, that limited what he could do. But, you know, highly productive college player, good character guy. What he reminds me of a little bit is you're hearing a lot of similar things said about him that you heard about Malcolm Brogdon, who might end up winning Rookie of the Year this year for the Milwaukee Bucks. So that'll be uh, interesting to see where that goes. You got a couple quick thoughts on Monte Morris. Um, well, he's the opposite of Emmanuel Moutier. Yeah. Um, he doesn't turn the ball over uh, very, very rarely. Uh, very heady point guard um, is very mature and a leader for the team. I absolutely agree with your thought that he can slot into the third um, point guard spot easily right now um, and potentially um, get some minutes depending on what happens. Um, how they view Jamal Murray, whether it's, you know, at the two or, or the one. Um, and then I absolutely think that Moutier is gone um, before the season even starts. I think they, they've kind of soured on, on him. And I think they keep Jimmy Nelson um, as a veteran locker room guy um, for one more year. And, and um, Morris will, will get some key minutes there. All right, so we're going to move on to the Detroit Pistons. The Pistons drafted Luke Kennard, the shooter out of Duke um, at the uh, – uh, without being stereotypical, he's lefty, and he 
he is a uh, Caucasian white guy, and a lot of things that were said is he he's tough, he's scrappy, he has a high basketball IQ, he's crafty, he you know knows how to do all those things. So he kind of checks all those boxes that you think of from your typical white Duke shooting guard um, in that respect. But you know, but he is a good player. And what this does is this gives the Pistons some protection in case they lose Contavious Caldwell Pope. They don't have anybody who can replace him um, on the roster. They, that's really gaping hole at this point. It's uh, probably the best option would be Stanley Johnson, and I think he's proven over and over he's not really a shooting guard. He's more of a of a three in that respect. So thoughts on Luke Kennard? I know you're a Duke guy, so thoughts on him to the Pistons? I like the pick for the Pistons. I think that it, it kind of irritated me a little bit last night, and then I kind of slept on it and had a little bit different opinion this morning. It irritated me last night because Van Gundy's first thing was, well, Kennard's going to have to play defense if he wants to see the floor. And all I could see is flashbacks of J.J. Redick in Orlando. And I'm like, great, here it goes. You know, Kennard's career is going to take him a while. And Because um, I'm a huge fan of Kennard. I think that um, he can handle the ball really well. He extremely, extremely high basketball IQ. He doesn't make mistakes in the offense very much. Um, obviously, he touched on it very good um, shooting stroke with a quick release. Um, able to come off screens off the dribble and spot up. Um, and I think if he can improve quickly um, defensively and just listen and hone in, um, I think he'll get playing time. Because as you mentioned, um, if Contagious Caldwell Pope is not brought back, um, I think Reggie Bullock is a free agent, plus he's suspended even if they brought him back at the beginning of the year. Darren Hilliard. And he's not good. Yeah, exactly. He hasn't done anything. Darren Hilliard hasn't really done much. Um, so they don't really have much at that two-guard spot. So – um, I like the fit for Kennard. I either had Kennard going to the Hornets or the Pistons, one of the two, um, as far as best fits in the draft. And and just a quick side note, it was funny because um, my wife would pop in every once in a while and, and see kind of how the draft's going. She's like, oh, are you enjoying the picks and stuff? So Kennard gets up, and she's like, hey, is that Savannah Chrisley? And I'm like, oh, Jesus Christ. So um, <laughs> now all you have to hear about is, is um, you know, basically uh, – all the tabloids are coming out. Oh, Luke Kennard's dating Savannah Chrisley, and I'm like, oh, you know, that's just what what all the NBA fanatics want to want to care about. But I just thought it was funny because <laughs> my wife wife brought it up. But um, Kennard, overall, I think um, he's going to struggle to to really see significant time um, unless there is a KCP trade. Um, but overall, I think for his development, that's going to be the better thing. Um, maybe kind of take a learning curve this year, get better defensively, and then next year just really take off. Yeah, one, one quick thing on that, too, is if, if they lose KCP, they don't really have the means to replace them. The Pistons are not they're not going to have cap space. They're, they are pretty much capped out. Um, they're looking at being a heavy taxpayer to retain KCP um, on what would have to likely be a near-max deal. Um, and I know that, that raises eyebrows, but that's going to be what it takes most likely for him to stay there. So now we're going to move to the Golden State Warriors. We mentioned it before. They bought Jordan Bell from the Chicago Bulls or bought his draft rights is a better way for me to phrase that. He is a mentioned often as Draymond Green. I did a little bit of radio in the San Francisco area this morning, and I said, don't do that to the kid. You know, that's not fair. You know, Draymond Green is a, you know, he is a, you know, as much a unicorn as there is in the NBA, you know, with his ability. But, you know, 
Bell's not he's in a great spot to learn um, from Draymond Green. He's another guy who I think benefited from that long tournament run by Oregon. Uh, you know, he was the guy who really stood out uh, in a lot of games. He just he's always doing something. You know, and that's uh you know what you want to see. He's you know kind of, kind of that good defender, heady guy can make a lot of plays on that end. So um you know I happy to see him him get a shot. So you know he's probably gonna be ultimately the guy who replaces James Michael McAdoo. Probably take his spot on the roster as a kind of big man. And you know Steve Kerr will be you know with his uh, kumbaya approach of everybody has to play. He'll make sure Bell gets gets some minutes here and there. It's similar to what Patrick. McCaw did this year, but ultimately that's going to be good, you know, for his development to actually play meaningful minutes. Yeah, and, and I think with Steve Kerr, he's going to put him in the position to excel. Um, Bell is an exceptional shot blocker um, without fouling. That's the big thing. Um, he, he has impeccable timing with that, and he offensive rebounds the ball very well um, with putback dunks. Um, the only thing about him, he's not a shooter at all. Um, so really, you know, you got to have him close to the rim, but I think he can be a high-energy guy, especially how Golden State likes to get out of transition. I could see Steph Curry throwing lobs um, up to Bell. Imagine if they bring back to Bell McGee and, and have Jordan Bell on the roster, just how many lobs and dunks that Golden State's going to have. And just the, the perfect coin phrase that you said earlier, the rich get richer um, for Golden State. Yeah, absolutely, and that's exactly what it is. Um, you know, with that one. So now we're going to move to the Houston Rockets. Only one pick for for the Rockets, and that was Isaiah Hartenstein. Uh, he's a big, rangy big man from Germany. There was an excellent, excellent feature on him on the undefeated the ESPN um, arm there, another media group under the ESPN umbrella. Uh, I highly encourage everybody to track that down and read a really good read. This is a guy, though, he averages, I think, a point and a little over a rebound. Um, but he's he's very young. He's probably for what Houston wants. Is he'll he'll be overseas, um, will not make an impact in Houston probably for at least a year or two. Probably see him in the next couple of summer leagues, and then eventually maybe makes his way over to Houston. But he was a guy some people were thought maybe sneaks into the late first round, and Houston was able to get him in the second round. Yeah, I thought he was a guy that actually should have should have waited an extra year and come out um, next season. Uh, obviously, he's a good rebounder um, and can shoot, you know, but it's just not consistent. For him, it's going to have to be uh, defense, of course, um, and then um, the big thing is he he doesn't protect the rim. So even though he is seven foot one um, with a standing reach of, of um, nine feet, one inches, it just really doesn't show because he doesn't play that way. So it's not like he's a, a hard-nosed defender and, um, you know, can can really body up guys. Now, he is a good rebounder on the defensive end, but, you know, just below average as far as um, really getting into guys and things like that. You're absolutely correct. He's going to go um, back over. I believe he's still with Sagaris, um you know, overseas for another season or two. So um, we'll have to see how he improves and, and maybe comes over, like you said, for a summer league or two and then maybe makes a roster. Yeah, absolutely. So Indiana Pacers, 
maybe bigger news for what they didn't do than anything they did do. They did not trade Paul George. It was rumored all throughout the day that they got close with Cleveland. They got close with Boston. Uh, that is one of those things that whenever anybody asked, and now this is my default is, I'm always going to tell you it's more likely that there is no trade than there is a trade just because it's it's hard to, to make a trade in the NBA. People think it's as easy as firing up you know the video game system and, you know, click two buttons and off you go. And that's not really how it works. But, you know, with, with Paul George, I do believe it'll happen. I do think it will happen before the summer ends, uh, probably really, probably within the next couple of weeks, fairly early into July would be my guess. The Pacers know he's leaving. He made that quite clear. And they're not going to get they're not going to watch him walk away for nothing. Uh, so that that's really all we really need to say on that one. But So let's get into their draft picks. TJ Leaf in the first round, then E.K. Anibogu. He was the second round. Those guys were teammates at UCLA. Um, two big guys, Leaf, a um, more power forward, stretch four-ish kind of guy. Anibogu is a more traditional center type. And then they bought a second round pick um, from the New Orleans Pelicans to bring in Edmund Sumner out of Xavier. Um, he, he's a guy who, uh, if I remember correctly, he had had um, some uh, um, injury concerns. Um, it missed time, I think it was two years ago, if I remember correctly. Mm-hmm. Um, but, you know, interesting grouping there from Indiana. So hit us with some stuff about Leaf, Anibogu, and Sumner. I'll go with Sumner first because um, with him, he's got uh, length and speed, um, 6'6 uh, guard, 6'9 wingspan. Uh, he has a good first uh, step, high pick and roll. Potential, but that injury history um, with the patellar uh, patellar tendonitis um, from 2014-2015, and then the torn ACL in 2017, amongst other injuries, has kind of really um, dampened a lot of people's view on his uh, stock. And then he doesn't—he's not the greatest as far as finishing. So I think he's a guy that um, you know, best case scenario is like a third string. Uh, backup in the NBA and just not really um, someone that that does a whole lot. Um, with Anabogu, um, he has injury concerns as well. I think he fell because of the knees, if I remember correctly. Um, that was the big thing um, with him. And with him, it's basically it comes down to um, you know defense, defense, um, shot blocking ability, things like that, and. Um, he's not going to do anything on the offensive end. Well, that's where T.J. Leaf excels, able to knock down shots and, um, you know, stress the floor and, and get you buckets that way. It's interesting to me that a Paul George trade did not go down because I was, you know, waiting on that to happen, see what they do um, in the draft to kind of make up for that. But um, it didn't happen. It doesn't mean that it's not going to happen, um, you know, hopefully fairly soon. Um, the thing with Leaf, that is going to be the big thing is he's, he, again, like many others that we talked about already that are big men, does not like to score inside. Um, he's basically a stretch shooter, spot-up shooter, um, and, you know, that's where he's going to have to improve. Average rebounder. I am so-so on the pick because I think with Miles um, Turner there, I think they needed more of a rugged um, defensive guy there. They could have put it at – power forward or 
um, maybe went a little bit different direction. I actually thought um, just before the picks happened that Leaf was going to end up going to Atlanta and then John Collins was going to end up in, in Indiana, but obviously it didn't shake out that way. Yeah, and I, I do like that Turner's shot-blocking ability helps cover for some of Leaf's uh, deficiencies on that end, and I think this is, again, this is another sign of that playing five-out type of basketball. And, and as far as Sumner goes, we're not going to spend much time on him. I think he, he could snag a roster spot at the end of the roster pending what else happens there in Indiana as they you know, move on from players because this could be if Paul George is traded, then you could see several other guys need to be moved as well um, just because they're, they will at that point it's going to be build around Miles Turner, TJ Leaf, and younger players and move forward with that. So at that point, a guy like Sumner could, could grab some time. The Los Angeles Clippers made two moves. They bought two second-round picks, the first one from Philadelphia. They picked up Jawan Evans, who is the, the little point guard from Oklahoma State. But this guy's tough. This guy can play. I was um, pulling for the Orlando Magic to draft him with the 25th pick, which they ultimately then traded. Um, but that was the guy I wanted them to come in. Um, I thought he he would be really good uh, for the Magic as a point guard there. But it is uh, it, it did did not happen, so we'll just have to have to see you know what Orlando does in the point guard market. But we'll get to them in a couple minutes. So Evans comes into the Clippers, and then Cindarius Thornwell out of South Carolina. He was a guy who had a huge NCAA tournament run, big part of South Carolina's run to the Final Four. And the Clippers bought that pick from the Milwaukee Bucks. If you're wondering why the Evans deal hasn't shown up, it's not going to be official until after July 1st because teams can only send and receive up to $3.5 million in a year. And the Clippers did that to acquire Thornwall, so it'll wait um, for them to get Evans um, or, or uh, Philly also made some moves on their end as far as moving picks. So so it's just going to hold it up slightly until 7-1, and then that will all go official. That's when it will go into the books, and that's when it will be uh, Evans moving over. But he will be a Los Angeles Clipper. Thoughts on either one of those guys? I, I like them both. I think they, they both have the potential, and depending on where the Clippers' roster goes, uh, if, if Chris Paul moves on, if – J.J. Redick moves on, and then all of a sudden they are in a full-on rebuilding phase. I think both of these guys could maybe see some minutes and be decent um, back-end rotation players for the Clippers. Yeah, I absolutely agree. I think both make the roster. Um, Thornwell, um, I'm high on because he's a defender, obviously, um, can rebound the ball, play in the pick-and-roll, can post up, can pretty much you know do a lot on that end. Um, just the shooting needs to improve. Um, Evans, you know, learning from the guy that many compared him to and Chris Paul, um, and he can score in a variety of ways. And um, I think it was Jay Billis as well that came out and said, well, he's only, um, you know, one of the guards in the country that really didn't have any other D1 um, capable NBA guys on his team and just look what he did um, to lead them um, very, you know, to a very um, – Decent season, um, good release shooting off the dribble. The only thing that's going to, you know, get him is is he's small. I would say he's more inside of five eleven than six foot, but I guess it doesn't really make a difference. Um, he can attack, pull up, pass the ball. Um, he does like the floater, so he's not somebody that likes to get all the way to the rim. Um, with him, he can defend and can pressure the ball. I think he sees a fair amount of minutes 
uh, for the Clippers because it gives them a little bit different look, especially depending, like you said, what happens with the with the uh, big names for the Clippers. Yeah, absolutely. It's uh, you know, it's going to be an off season to transition. As we're taping this again, we're taping this Friday evening. Blake Griffin and Chris Paul have both officially opted out of their contracts and will be free agents. That's not a surprise. That doesn't mean that they're leaving. That was always the plan that was going to happen, but it is now done that they they'll be moving on. So let's move to let's move on as well ourselves to their their brethren in Los Angeles, the Lakers. So the, we already talked about the big trade that was made. Again, Again, D'Angelo Russell and Timothy Mozgov sent to the Brooklyn Nets for Brooke Lopez in the 27th pick. The big motivator for the Lakers was to clear long-term salary. Lopez is an expiring contract, so he will come in. He is almost a lock to be their starting center. He's going to help them um, quite a bit. They have no motivation to tank this year because they don't own their pick. It's either going to Philadelphia or to Boston um, as part of the the resulting um, from the Markel Fultz trade or the trade for the number one pick. I should uh, phrase it more appropriately as. But anyway, Lopez is going to come in. He will help them. And then he, most importantly, how he's going to help them is his contract expires as the Lakers look to clear max cap space to potentially make a run at Paul George and potentially, if you believe the rumors, even LeBron James. But then the 27th pick, they ended up using that pick to draft Kyle Kuzma out of Utah. But their their first-round pick, as everybody expected, big baller brand, Lonzo Ball to the L.A. Lakers. Uh, there was absolutely no surprise there. They also picked up in a trade with Utah. They picked up the 30th pick of the first round. They swapped picks and picked up an additional second. And they brought in Josh Hart of the uh, of Villanova. And then Thomas Bryant, who's a big man, they brought him in in the second round. So four rookies joining the Lakers. High likelihood all four will make the roster this year as well, as they will all be low-cost players. Ball won't be, but obviously he is going to be handed that starting point guard spot from day one and will run the offense. So thoughts on the big draft night for the Lakers as well as factoring in the trade? Um, Looking at... Uh, I'll go second round all the way. I'll go basically from their last pick to their first pick. Thomas Bryant, um, big man that can basically get in the lane, um, a high-energy guy um, in transition, can knock down the three-point shot, but he can't defend anybody. So he's going to basically have to get better there. His rebounding for his size is going to have to be better because he should be dominating um, guys at 6'11 with a 7'6 wingspan, and he just doesn't. And, you know, it kind of kind of bothered me that um, they, they picked him up. There were a couple other options that, that were there, um, you know, basically in the second round that, that might have fit a little bit better, but um, it's neither here nor there. Kuzma, um, I did not like that one. I thought it was a reach. Um, and he's touted as a, as a shooter, and I just, from everything that I saw, it's good fundamentals to his shot, but it's just not a great shot. And he doesn't do anything else well. They already have uh, Julius Randle. They've got Larry Nance, uh, Tarek Black. They've already got guys there, um, you know, that that can do different things, That a combination of different things. So I didn't really see the need for, for Kuzma. I did like the, the Josh Hart pick because I think that um, he can actually play a meaningful role, um, especially if the rumors that Jordan Clarkson may – um, not be there. Um, he could kind of fill that role. He can shoot the three. 
uh, very well, run the pick and roll if he has to play any kind of point guard. Um, and then his intangible is just kind of being a guy that competes hard. I think that's the biggest thing um, for me, for him. And, and then with Lonzo Ball, I've been high on Lonzo Ball basically the entire time. Obviously, being a Sixers guy, I'm happy we got Marco Foltz, but I think Lonzo Ball is that basically throwback player that, that really can make an impact all the way around. Um, he doesn't dribble you know, the air out of the ball, as they say, uh, very much. He moves the ball around, um, high pick and roll upside, can play off the ball. We saw his unorthodox shot, but he shoots so deep with like uh, Steph Curry range that it doesn't matter. Um, he can be a capable uh, defender because his instincts are good. Um, I just think that with Ball, the biggest thing is going to be so much pressure because his father, you know, throws these outlandish comments out there. And it's like, just let the kid play. And and I'm rooting for, for Ball because I think he's a nice kid, but then even more so uh, because the story of his mom, Tina, who had the stroke and, and right now is not able to talk. I'm, I'm really rooting um, for her, obviously, to um, get back to full strength. But, but the kid is just a, such a, a nice kid, and um, it's a shame that his dad just kind of, I wouldn't say exploits him, but just throws outlandish things out there for attention. And um, a lot of people are going to be gunning to uh, make Lonzo Ball look bad. And, and um, so many people said that that both Folks and De'Aaron Fox were were better choices than Lonzo Ball. But I think Ball um, turns out to be um, the better of the three, honestly, um, from a point guard perspective. I think Folks can score um, well, but I don't think traditionally being a point guard um, is where he's going to excel. I think that's where Ball exceeds. Yeah, I think he is a phenomenal talent, and I think you saw what he did for UCLA. He he's a big reason why TJ Leaf and Ike Anabogu got drafted because he made them look really really good. He can really play, so it's uh, going to be fun to watch him grow with Brandon Ingram. I think they are going to be a really good pairing there, and Ball is going to be a guy who, if they do get, say, a Paul George or even a LeBron James or somebody like that, he's such a smart, unselfish basketball player that all kinds of guys are going to be thrilled to play with him. So, you know, I, it's, it's, you know, they, you know it's a, as someone who grew up in Boston, it pains me to say, but I think the Lakers are starting to get this thing turned in the right direction um, with, you know, all the moves that they're making. And they, they, as we know, can get better quicker than just about anybody else. So let's move on to the Memphis Grizzlies. And the Grizzlies came in with, with no picks and came out with two guys. So they ended up getting Ivan Rabb, who is, if, if you didn't follow, Ivan Rabb went back to school last year uh, of Cal and when he was projected to be maybe a late lottery pick and fell all the way to the second round. Memphis got him from the Orlando Magic, or got his draft rights from the Orlando Magic in a draft night trade for a future uh, second round pick. And then they did another trade for Dylan Brooks, who's a yet another Oregon player. He's a wing um, player, about six foot seven, and they did another trade there. So I think Rab is the guy who they have 
a potential hole at the power forward spot. That's what Rab is. Zach Randolph's a free agent, and he's getting older. And Jamichael Green is a free agent, a restricted free agent, so they have match rights, but that's already a very, very expensive roster there in Memphis. So I think a guy like Rab could come in. He's definitely going to uh, benefit if Randolph sticks around, which he likely will, from some tutelage from Randolph and Mark Gasol up front on how to you know play in the NBA at the big man position. Brooks, we'll see. I think that's just a you know where we're in effect capped out and can't do much in terms of that. So we want to get as many bites at adding cheap talent as we can. So that's where they were. Quick, quick thoughts on Rab or Brooks. Uh, Brooks is just a, a all around kind of guy. I don't think he sticks in the NBA. I think he's going to be an overseas guy. Uh, Rab obviously should have come out last year. Doesn't shoot the ball well. Struggles uh, defending the ball. Um, but he's a very good rebounder um, and has some post skills. So it'll be interesting to see. It, it kind of baffled me because they had uh, Jerome Martin <laughs> on the team. So I'm like, why Why did you pick Ivan Rad? But, I mean, we'll see. It, it well, that's why, because like, they have Jerome Martin. They've seen Jerome Martin play. And, you know, he's <laughs> yeah. not going to be an NBA player. Right. I just I don't know. It, it's going to be a big summer for um, Memphis because, like you said, Randolph and Green – um, you know, not to jump into to too many, too much about Memphis, but um, you know they've got some some key decisions to make. Rap could fit a fit a need just as an end of the bench guy that that kind of plays spot minutes, but mostly in the D league. But I think he can make the roster. Yeah, I think, like I said, I think he makes the roster. He's their developmental big, and they hope to you know a year or two into it, they they've maybe got themselves a rotation player. Then the Miami Heat, they draft the only one draft pick, Bam Adebayo, the big man out of Kentucky. He is a um, you know pretty good athlete, can get up and get the ball and do some things. He's not a great fit next to uh, Hassan Whiteside. He's probably more going to play behind Hassan Whiteside. And what this really is to me is Willie Reed has probably priced himself out as a free agent. He had a very nice year for the Heat, so he's probably going to move on for more money and bigger opportunity elsewhere. So I think Adebayo comes in as a really cheap, good, cost-controlled, team-controlled guy for a couple years as a prospect there, there with the Heat. Yeah, I'm not. This is somebody that, and I'm usually positive about so many guys. This was a one where I was scratching my head. Um, I actually had Adebayo ranked in, in my second round tier of players. I just don't think that, that he does enough for today's NBA. Um, he's kind of like a Montrezl Harrell for um, Houston, where he basically is an explosive, you know, quick and explosive, can run the floor hard and rebound. But I just don't think that he has the motor to really get it done. And then he showed in workouts that he's able to knock down um, a shot. But it's one-on-zero workouts. Like, I mean, if I wanted a one-on-zero workout and I haven't, you know, done anything in a, in a long time, I could still knock down 60% of my three-point shots. <laughs> so, I mean, you know, it doesn't say much. You know, when you have a guy in front of you and you're playing at the NBA speed, um, it's going to be something different. I don't think that he plays more than 12 to 15 minutes a game, you know, for the season. I don't think at all people um, mentioned that you could play him next to Hassan Whiteside no for some way. small minutes. Split it. And I'm like, there ain't that ain't happening. Yeah, neither um, one of them can shoot, so you'd no, I, I be in trouble. I would have liked to see Justin Jackson or something, somebody, a shooter, just give them another, another outside perimeter 
threat move uh, Justice Winslow up to the four um, and just roll with that, but so be it. All right, so the Milwaukee Bucks, DJ Wilson, there's the surprise, and long, bouncy, athletic guy. That's, you know, that's what the Bucks do. Those are the guys they pick. Um, I, I know, I believe it was uh, Jordan Tresky who covers the Milwaukee Bucks on Twitter, said, hey, it wasn't a center. Um, so that was, you know, kind of funny. Um, but Wilson, I think he is kind of the, comes in to be the Jabari Parker protection, just in case Parker is, you know, slow to make it back from the second torn ACL. And he is, he's long. He's bouncy. He's super athletic. He's not very strong. He doesn't really like contact very much. So that's a, a bit of a challenge. But I think he he will be um, you know a potential energy guy off the bench for them when things get going. And they 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 he fits the mold for what the Bucks like. And then in the second round, after they sold off. Uh, Cinderius Thornwell, they then bought a pick to bring in Sterling Brown. And Sterling Brown's one of the better shooters. And if there's something that Milwaukee needs, it's shooting. They they um, black shooting from, from the wings outside of really Chris Middleton and then the improving Tony Snell. But Rashad Vaughn was unable to do that. So Brown could potentially you know, be a guy who could factor in later in the year, um, especially if he can figure out how to do anything defensively just because of his ability to shoot the ball. Yeah, with Brown, it's basically the the same thing they did last year with Brogdon. Obviously, he's not going to hit the elite level that that Brogdon did to get to to Rookie of the Year uh, candidacy, but um, he fits a need as a three and D guy. I think that basically allows them to move Rashad Vaughn in a trade because Vaughn has shown nothing in the NBA. With DJ Wilson, he's somebody that rose up quickly um, in uh, draft boards. Um, very versatile defender, has quickness. Um, can kind of defend a little bit toward out towards the perimeter. Um, he can shoot the ball um, off the dribble, but he doesn't rebound. Um, and then the defensive upside inside is not the greatest. Um, he kind of reminds me um, a little bit of his ball handling of like that Lamar Odom-esque um, type, you know, player. But, you know, we'll see what happens. With Wilson, I think, you know, he'll be, like you said, insurance for DeMarc Parker. And that's about the extent. Yep. All right, Minnesota Timberwolves. So we talked about the trade from the Bulls side. Disaster. We're in agreement there from the Chicago side. For the Wolves, the complete opposite. Massive home run for them. That is a uh, great addition for the for the Wolves. They can use Butler to help push this rebuild forward. They they have not been in the playoffs in now a decade plus in Minnesota, so it is it is really that that city deserves a winner. They you know deserve good things to happen. So Jimmy Butler, uh, you know we don't need to spend a lot of time on it because we all know how good Jimmy Butler is. But he's going to slot right in. Him and Wiggins. A lot of people. Oh, who's going to play the two? Who's going to play the three? It doesn't matter. They're both just going to be wings. That's you know where things are going more and more in the NBA anyway. Butler gives them a secondary playmaker, which is what they lost in Zach Levine when he went down. That was where they you know um, fell off a little bit there. But you know he's going to be terrific for them. And then with the pick they got, because Chicago again needlessly added a pick to the trade, they drafted Justin Patton. So this one's a little. Eh. I would have rather seen them get one of the shooters on the board. I think that would have helped them more at that spot in the draft. Patton comes in. He's really going to be that third big behind Carl Anthony Towns and Gorgie Jang. And, 
Nemanja Bielitsa, he is recovering from a foot injury, so we don't know when he'll be back and able to play. But Patton's a guy who came on late in the year. A lot of scouts really like his ability. He's more of a true five, so he's probably going to slot in uh, next to Towns, um, potentially up front some. So we'll, we'll see if he can continue his rapid ascent. But, you know, that, it's absolutely a home run night for Minnesota, one of the best nights of any team we're going to cover here. Yes, spoiler alert, they get the, the highest grade for me <laughs> yeah. um, on the night. But um, getting Jimmy Butler, obviously, a lot of people have the questions of well, how is Butler and Wiggins going to play together. I think he actually helps Wiggins. Um, Wiggins, imagine the, the having to um, get offense by Wiggins with his lane and then Jimmy Butler on the perimeter. Then you've got Ricky Rubio there to get steals as well if he still – um, still with the the ball club, um, the Timberwolves at the start of the season. But going to Patton, um, good leaper, um, good pick and roll potential, but doesn't do anything offensively. Doesn't rebound the greatest. I really question this fit. Uh, I, I don't see it um, because you've got Cole Aldridge there. You've got Carl Anthony Towns, Corey Zhang, like you mentioned, um, and then Bielita, um who can stretch the floor, which – Patton can't. I don't. I don't know. Unless um, Thibodeau is going to be um, enamored with Carlington Towns at the four, you know, a lot. I don't really see where Patton slots in there. But you know, Tibbs always finds a way to to you know play guys on orthodox lineups and and things like that. But the way it normally goes with Tibbs, he plays his um, main guys tons of minutes. So maybe Patton doesn't play a lot except for the for the G League. Yeah, well, that's what I was going to say. He finds ways to use unorthodox minutes for one minute per half. Um, you, know, you know, those guys are his main dudes are going to play most of the time. So let's get into the New Orleans Pelicans. This one will be pretty quick. They traded Tim Frazier, their backup point guard, to Drew Holiday. Uh, spot starter ended up playing at the end of the year after the DeMarcus Cousins trade opened up really the shooting guard spot. They moved Holiday over there. Frazier started next to him, but they moved him off to the Washington Wizards for the 52nd pick in the draft. And then they they worked the trade to end up ultimately coming away with Frank Jackson out of um, Duke. He is a I, I think he's probably a point guard at the NBA level. He's got got good size for the position. Maybe could swing over to the two a little bit, but I think he's more of a point guard. He is does have I believe was a broken foot, um, so mm-hmm. he's going to have to bounce back from that. But there there. There's minutes to be had in New Orleans behind Drew Holiday if he's back, potentially even more if Drew Holiday doesn't return. So you're the Duke guy, a little bit on Frank Jackson. I think it's a good fit for him. I think that Jackson's more of a shooting guard in a point guard's body, but he's absolutely going to have to play point guard at the NBA level. Um, he can finish with either hand at the rim, um, very good off the dribble shooter, um, and he's efficient with his um, shooting on the move. The thing about it is, is is he going to be able to defend at this level? And he doesn't have the greatest first step, and he's not the greatest decision maker um, from the point guard spot. And I actually thought that he should have went back to Duke, but just based on you know how well Duke always recruits, I don't know um, he would have been fighting for for a lot of minutes there. But I think he is in a situation in New Orleans where um, it's perfect for him because he takes that those minutes that. Tim Frazier, who we'll talk about in a little bit when we get to Washington, he'll take those minutes um, a little bit from that backup perspective and um, once he's healthy and, and, you know, do some things there. 
All right, so now the New York Knicks. This was an absolute circus <laughs> leading up to the draft. <laughs> it was Kristaps uh, Porzingis where, you know, we have to consider trading um, Phil Jackson. Who in the world knows why you would put Kristaps Porzingis? If you thought we were rough on the Jimmy Butler trade, I would have destroyed the Knicks. We would have spent a whole podcast just killing the Knicks for trading Porzingis. I love this guy. You don't trade seven foot three guys with his skill set. But they didn't trade him, so we don't need to spend a ton of time on that. But it, it was just stupid that that was even up up for a debate. But in the draft, they drafted Frank Nilakina from uh, France, uh, or he's from France, right? Yeah. Um, so he's a you know big guard. You know that's what Phil Jackson likes. He likes those big, long uh, point guards. Fits the triangle really well. Second round, they drafted uh, two guys who are much more questionable um, prospects: Damian Dotson out of Houston, I believe. Yes, Houston. He's shooting mm-hmm. guard out of Houston, and then. Um, Ogden uh, Yaramaz from Serbia. He is another um, kind of a, a project kind of guy. He's probably someone who's not going to come over anytime soon. He just turned, or he turns 22 in September, so he's a little, little on the older side. But he, you know, somebody if we see, he'll be a couple years down the line. Um, and then uh, Dotson was a was a, is a older player. He's already actually 23 years old. So he, if anything, he's a very back end player. But but it's all about Nilakina. He's the guy that they wanted to add. This to me signals there is no way Derrick Rose is back. Um, with the Knicks, it, it just doesn't make sense. You didn't draft Nilakina, despite how young he is, to put him on the bench um, behind a guy like Derrick Rose. Hopefully the Knicks do the right thing and let this kid grow with – he's only 18, doesn't even turn 19 until the end of July. Um, let him grow with Kristaps Porzingis as the two building blocks. You're, you're big in your point. Let those two guys grow together. But g- give us your thoughts on the Knicks and Porzingis and Nilakina and all that. Well, first on Porzingis, I think it's a travesty the way that Phil Jackson's handling this. I mean, it's like, come on, like, you know, let's not get into a pissing match, you know, with, with um, Porzingis, who's going to be a superstar um, in another two to three years maximum. I mean, Phil Jackson, it just shows his incompetence as, um, you know, a leader for the franchise. And James Dolan's just been hands-off. He doesn't care what's happening. And, and it just I just had to shake my head. I was actually rooting for Porzingis to end up somewhere with Boston because of Brad Stevens' coaching ability and, and just being able to thrive there. But it didn't, didn't work, not to say that it'll never work. But the asking price, um, I heard that uh, Phoenix with Devin Booker in the number four pick was a modest offer compared to some of the other offers out there um, that are things that, that Phil wanted from teams, which is crazy. But anyway, um, going to Nilakina, um, the thing about him is he's, he most of the year he played off the ball. He didn't really play the actual lead guard position. Um, he's not the greatest passer, but he has good passing instincts, if that makes sense. He just needs to improve um, once he gets a little bit of age and experience on him to be a point guard. Um, he doesn't have the greatest first step, but his offensive ability is what really shows me that he has upside. Um, he's that guy that can take charges, um, things like that, and then um, fighting over screens and, and things of that nature. Um, he's long and, and you know basically has the frame that he can put on some weight, but 
Nick fans, I know they're not going to be patient, but this is a guy that you're going to have to wait till he's about 21 to 22 to really see um, key results from, I think. And you're absolutely right, Keith, in saying that Derek Rose won't be back. There's, there's no way um, that that's happening at all um, for them. And then Dotson in the second round, I think, was a little bit of a reach. Um, he can score, but he's more of a guy that's going to play in Westchester. Um, I think he could, knowing, knowing Phil and, um, you know, kind of what he likes, maybe he could make the roster as a, of the, at the end of the bench. He's better than Sasha Vujicic, I'm, I'm sure. Um, I would hope. <laughs> you know, I, yeah, exactly. I would hope. Um, and then with Yorimaz, I think with him, you know, just getting the experience overseas, I didn't see a ton of, of, um, stuff on him, so I can't really go in depth with him, but, He's somebody that you know they'll probably just stash and, and keep over there. Yeah, it's definitely going to be interesting to see where the Knicks go from here. I think this is now hopefully the Porzingis talk is off the table and we're not going to see anything further with that. That is the hope at least. So um, there, it seems like they've moved on, so we're going to do the same. We're going to get into the Oklahoma City Thunder as we are now into the back third of this NBA draft recap. Again, you're listening to the NBA Front Office Show, part of the Almighty Baller Network. I'm joined by Pete Toll. We are recapping the NBA draft, and we're up with the Oklahoma City Thunder. It was really funny watching the draft live. We, you know, Woj was two, three picks ahead of where the, the TV broadcast was. And then all of a sudden we get to the Thunder and everything gets silent for what ended up being almost a 15-minute period because the real picks were rolling in and the Thunder, nothing gets out of there. And then they pulled a surprise. They drafted Terrence Ferguson. The deal with Ferguson is, um, correct me if I'm wrong, Pete, a high school kid who rather mm-hmm. than go to college, um, he chose to move and go overseas, played in Australia. Um, mm-hmm. So kind of took a little bit of that Brandon Jennings route. He he went and played in Italy before coming in the league. Ferguson's a good athlete who um, had a little bit of a reputation as a good shooter. Um, didn't have the greatest year, but he was also extremely young to be playing in a professional league outside of the United States. So what are your thoughts on the Thunder and what kind of player are they getting in Ferguson? Because I think a lot of people may not know a lot about him. I think obviously you just hit on athleticism and that's what the Thunder needed that in shooting um, next to Russell Westbrook and I think in time Ferguson can provide that but Ferguson struggled mightily in Australia where he should have been dominating Um, and I think just right now he doesn't have the greatest feel for the game Um, forces a lot of shots and doesn't really know the speed of the game compared to high school um, at a at a pro compared to a pro level, he's going to have to put on a lot of weight. Um, very very frail. Um, doesn't play the greatest defense. Loses track of his man a lot. Um, where he does excel is he's able to get in the open floor and um, you know dump the ball like crazy. He's somebody that you know every year they throw somebody in the dunk contest like they did Derek Jones last year, yeah. where nobody really knows a ton about him. I think he could be somebody that's in the dunk contest and gets a little notoriety there. Um, he's just, you know, a streaky shooter. Um, yeah, and, you know, it, it, just to kind of, you know, jump in on him, when you look at the makeup of the OKC roster with Victor Oladipo entrenched at the, the shooting guard spot, and then they have 
Doug McDermott as an option at small forward. Um, potentially Andre Robertson returns. They could have him there as well. They've got Alex Sabrinas. I think Ferguson is going to log a lot of time in the G League um, as a really developmental year. We've seen them do that in the past with uh, Josh Josh Heistis, He has been the um, – he even sat out an entire NBA year. Ferguson's not going to do that, but I would be shocked if we see him play more than a handful of games at the NBA level. Mm-hmm. I agree. All right, let's get into the Orlando Magic. The Magic were kind of sitting in that spot where a lot of people said, well, there's five really good players in this draft, and we love all of them, and then there's a bunch of other good players, but but that top five, that's where it's at, and the Magic were the sixth pick. So, uh, you know, that's just the, the way life goes sometimes. But that said, I think they got a great player, Jonathan Isaac. I am super high on this guy. A lot of people will say things like, oh, he was passive at Florida State. He should have done more. Well, you mentioned it when we talked about Dwayne Bacon. Bacon was a high-usage guy. Uh, their point guard, Xavier Rathen Mays, who went undrafted, he wasn't always the greatest passer and willing passer. So Isaac, I think, did the best that he could. He's very long. He's six foot eleven. A lot of people have questioned, we're great. Now we have another power forward. We're going to force to play small forward. I think what ends up ultimately happening is he's the small forward on offense. Gordon functions as the power forward on offense. And then they'll just flip. He'll... Gordon will drive the will guard the more athletic, quicker forward, while Isaac gets the bigger, slower guy. Um, but he can block some shots. And again, he's six foot eleven. He's a real big kid. Um, I really you know like uh, you know what he brings. Let's hear your thoughts on Jonathan Isaac for the Orlando Magic. Well, he's versatile first and foremost. That's the thing I think that intrigues the Magic because that's um, based on the the press conference that. Um, they had basically that's what they're looking for guys that that can play a versatile role. Um, I think with with Isaac, so many people just try to box him in. Well, he's going to be a four. Well, I think honestly, in time, eventually he can play a little five in a small ball role. Um, he can play four and he can play the three. Um, he's versatile enough that um, he can knock down shots. Um, it's a streaky shot, but it's a shot that I think that can really improve to to be one of the better parts of his game. Um, he attacks the, the boards, rebounds well, um, and basically being a versatile defender, um, that's something that's good on the offensive end, but defensively is where he's going to be able to thrive um, with his athleticism. And that's something Orlando needs on the perimeter, um, I think. Um, you can elaborate more on that covering the team, um, obviously more than I've seen. Yeah, no, they do. And I think Isaac is going to be a good shooter um, eventually. I think he will add that to his game where, all the way out to the three-point line. I just I don't see the problem fit-wise. I think it will will make sense because of – because they can just they can do that that split where they can switch offense and defense um, on either end of the court. So, but we'll see. Then the Magic's second first round pick, the twenty fifth pick in the draft. Ultimately, what they did with that pick was they traded it to the Philadelphia seventy sixers, who then took Andrzej Pasechnik. Um, that's that's how you say that. It's an extremely complicated name, but it's 
Anjay's Postechniks, but we'll talk more about him when we get to Philly in a couple minutes. Um, the Magic, Jeff Weltman said at the um, draft, I was covering the draft from the Amway Center, Jeff Weltman said that the Magic did not want to bring four rookies onto this roster, um, which is the smart move. That's just that's too many. Um, so what they ultimately decided to do was roll the pick over, and how this pick works is a little complicated. It's a pick that Philly owns, but it's actually Oklahoma City's pick, and it is top 20 protected to Philly. So at best, what the Magic can get is the 21st pick in the 2020 draft, and then it's protected for a couple years before top 20 protected before it ultimately turned into a second round pick in 2022 and 2023. Um, so we'll have to see, you know, it's, it's, a, it's hard to project where the Thunder may or may not be, you know, in a couple years, but that's what the Magic did. They kind of kicked the can down the road a little bit to clear some space. Now they did use one of their two second round picks. Uh, we already talked about the one they traded to Memphis um, for a 2019 Brooklyn second rounder. Um, they and then Memphis took Ivan Rabb. But the Magic's pick that they used, they drafted Wesley Awundu from Kansas State. This guy's a um, long, lengthy um, defender-type type player um, from Kansas State. He's, you know, got a fairly decent all-around game. I think he's, you know, somebody who will make the Magic roster at the back end. Um, and for those who don't know, the Magic have relocated their NBA G League franchise to Lakeland, which is about an hour or so away from Orlando. So they're going to be able to use that quite a bit by pushing these guys down to, to Lakeland. They can play in games down there, but practice with the NBA team versus their previous arrangement, which was in Erie, Pennsylvania, which was just impossible for guys to shuttle back and forth. So so that's where it'll be. Um, I, I do think um, Owundu, you know, it's a little bit of a playmaker, pretty solid wing, can really defend. Um, he's got to improve his shot to become a true rotation guy, but he's he's got some NBA skills that, you know, fit. Yeah, absolutely. I think he could potentially be a steal because a lot of people had him higher on, on their boards and and um, going at the the middle or bottom end of the first round, about you know twenty five um, to 20, uh, 29. So it's good that he fell to the second round of the Magic. And again, he's a defender with the Magic need. Um, they have uh, Terrence Ross and they have Evan Fournier, and potentially if Mario Hazonia ever pans out um, on offense, so you kind of need that defensive um, type mind. And that's what Frank Vogel likes: defensive guys. Um, you know, obviously the, the big knock is improve his shot and um, he can't score off the dribble. So basically it's either going to be a spot-up opportunity or he's going to have to get cuts to the rim and, and kind of score that way. But I think it's a good pick um, there. I think potentially, like I said, it could be um, one of the better steals um, of the second round. Yeah, and what what Jeff Waltman and John Hammond are trying to do is they're going to build this in the, almost the Milwaukee Bucks uh, strategy that they put together there is is long athletic guys. That's what they want. That's what they got in Isaac in the first round. That's what they got in a Wundu in the second round. So we'll see where it goes. So the team they made the trade with Philadelphia. We already covered Markel Fultz in depth when we did the Philadelphia offseason preview because that trade news had already broken. So go back and listen to that one when. Pete and I did the full Philly offseason preview, so I don't want to spend any time on that one because 
go back and listen to that show. We we really broke it down there. But Pasechniks, um, it sounds like maybe he comes over this year, but probably not. I'm thinking. I think it really kind of depends on what happens um, with him and what Philly does with the rest of the roster. Then they drafted Jonah Bolden, uh, Matthias Lasort. Um, and then they sold off the, their other two second-round picks. They had four in total, uh, Dewan Evans and Sergio Brown. Those were both sold off. But they're, they're these these last three guys, so Pasechniks, Bolden, and Lasort, they're all good chances to be stashed. They, they may not be in the NBA next year. Um, they could be you know playing elsewhere. But, you know, um, Bolden was a guy who he had a first-round grade from some teams. Um, some teams really liked him. So give, give me your quick thoughts on those three guys um, for the 76ers. On just um, basically he can shoot. Um, excellent rim runner. Um, the thing about him is he's very skinny. Um, he is 7-2. I – um, actually kind of have to pride myself a little bit because I, I had mentioned Jordan Bell and Jonah Bolton kind of sneaking in there at the end of the first round if the Sixers were going to trade up. Um, and then Pesnesnik's, um as your second round um, guy there um, with what's left for the Sixers. So I was kind of glad I was right on that one. Um, those were some guys that I was looking at that I think could be um, fits there. Bolton, um is a guy that can stress the four. He's gonna. He just signed a two-year um, extension um, overseas, so I think he's gonna stay there. Even though he expressed a, a desire to kind of get knocked out and come over, I just don't think there's gonna be enough room um, there with what the Sixers want to do in the offseason. And then Lasort, um, not very high on him. I think he's very, very raw. He's somebody that I don't think ever comes over um, and plays a minute in the NBA. All right, so that covers off on Philadelphia. So let's move to the Phoenix Suns. They got their guy. They got Josh Jackson. He was the guy that they wanted all along in the first round. It seemed like Josh Jackson, once it was pretty clear he was not going to go one or two, it seems like he did. It doesn't seem like he did everything to make sure the Celtics would not pick him at three. So off to Phoenix he goes. I I like the fit in Phoenix because Devin Booker is such a good shooter that I think he can help mask some of what Jackson can't do. They said some things at their press conference today of him playing one through five, which is that's just ridiculous. He's not going to defend fives. Um, you know, that's going a little too far. Um, and, and I don't like when teams say things like that publicly because that puts pressure and unrealistic expectations on a guy. But Jackson is, you know, super athlete, you know, fits him well. The, the Suns have really the only player in front of him is T.J. Warren, who is – probably in his last year with Phoenix. So I, I really think we'll see Josh Jackson fit in nicely. I will be surprised if he's not there starting three by the end of the year. And, you know, right in between Marquise Chris and Devin Booker and then whoever is playing point guard, whether that's Eric Bledsoe or they move on to a younger, different option there. So, you know, thoughts on Jackson's fit with the Phoenix Suns? Fantastic fit. That was the best landing spot to me uh, for him. His defensive presence on the, on the wing was surely needed because obviously Booker is not going to defend anybody, and TJ Warren struggles to defend as well. Um, he has very good playmaking ability as well. It's just that shot. I don't have the utmost confidence that it's going to um, improve unless he gets a guy like um, – like a Chip England out of San Antonio to work with him or, or something to that extent. 
um, like England did with um, with Kawhi Leonard. Um, with Jackson, I know some people were worried a little bit about his his off the court stuff. He had the misdemeanor um, while at Kansas. I don't think that's going to carry over the NBA. Um, I just think he's a passionate, fiery guy. I did think it was kind of funny. He looked pissed throughout his entire interview when they were um, talking to him um, right after he got drafted. So I think he's kind of holding a grudge of uh, getting passed up by um, Philly and, and, and Boston and L.A. Yeah, he um, looks cranky all the time. Um, even when he was playing at Kansas, he, he looked like he was uh, not an overly happy guy. But, you know, we'll we'll see, you know, where, where that goes. I want to see, um, you know, how he uh, gets this um, all put put together. I, you know, I, I hope the best for him. I hope it works out. You know, they uh, he and his agency played some shenanigan games to get him where they wanted to be, and there he is. So now we'll, we'll see, you know, ultimately where this goes from there. Second round, they drafted uh, Devon Reed, um, wing player out of Miami, and then Alec Peters, who is one of my absolute steals of the draft. I love this guy. He is a big stretch four option from Valparaiso. He can really, really shoot it. Think uh, Ryan Anderson, and that's what Alec Peters can be. I put it out there boldly on Twitter today. I think Alec Peters will ultimately end up being a better player than Dragon Bender. Um, for wow. the Phoenix Suns, and I like Dragon Bender. If you remember when we you mm-hmm. know, did our old show, I was high on Dragon Bender. Yeah, I, yeah, as was I. That is just how high I am on Alec Peters as a player. But thoughts on either Reed or Peters for the Suns? Reed's another defender. Um, he can actually get to the rim um, as well. Um, you know, basically, he's going to be somebody that's an end of the bench guy. He could potentially take um, Derrick Jones Jr.'s you know, spot something to that nature, like a guy that's not going to play very much for the main club and, and play um, in the in the G League. And then you hit it, you know, with Peters, um, you know, a small ball forward, you know, able to shoot, you know, lights out. Um, you know, basically he can, you know, get good instincts when it comes out of the ring. He just doesn't really play there um, a ton. Um but I think that's something that he can improve on um, at the NBA level. I'm not going to go as far as to say a Ryan Anderson type. I think he's going to be more like a Kelly Olenek type. Um, I think he can do some similar things. Um, I don't know really right now with Bender because of the injury. So I'm not going to make a bold statement and say that, that Peters is better than, than Bender because you know Bender did have the injury next year. We'll have to see kind of how it plays out, but I would not be surprised if you're correct in your uh, prediction because Peters is, is so skilled offensively versus um, Bender being a little bit more raw. Yeah, Bender's got a lot of way to go. It's almost like it's going to be a second crack at the rookie year um, for him. You know, and I hope I hope ultimately what the result is is the Suns have two really good players there. Um, at that spot. So now let's get into the Portland Trailblazers. Portland came into the draft with three first-round picks, and they were later first-round picks. They were all non-lottery picks. So not really an ideal spot, especially not for a team that has no pending free agents. Now, they'll waive Festus Azili. That's already a known um, to be that that will happen prior to the advent of free agency here in about a week. But what Portland was trying to do is they were trying to 
match one of those picks with one of their contracts to try to sell them off. They are facing a heavy, heavy luxury tax bill and wanted to shed one of their they're not so good or even, let's just call it, bad salaries. They did not do that, but what they did do was they packaged two of the picks together and traded up, and they traded up to draft Zach Collins, the kind of localish big man from Gonzaga. Um, Collins is a center forward type, can you know play inside, outside a little bit. I think he's going to be a really good fit for this team. I think he can play off Yusuf Nurkic really well. Really all that, that stands between him and potentially even being their starting power forward is Noah Vonley, who is, he is improving, but it is so slow. It's like at a turtle's pace that Vonley is improving. So I think I really like the pick of Collins for the Trailblazers. Then later with the first round pick that they kept, they, they doubled down on the position and drafted Caleb Swanigan, the big man out of Purdue. He is the kind of rugged rebounder, inside scorer, you know, bang guys. Um, he'll beat guys up inside. And that to me says... We didn't like our big situation outside of Nurkic. We needed to get some new new fresh blood in here, get things changed up, and that's what they did by adding Collins and Swanigan. Yeah, with Swanigan, he can actually uh, shoot a little bit from um, not quite NBA range, but, you know, about 20 feet. Um, he can hit that shot, so um, pair that with his ability to, to score inside with the wide frame, um, and then being a great rebounder, that's really going to help them. That's going to give them a different look. Um, than uh, what they had last season. And with Collins, I kind of questioned it um, when they drafted him because I'm like, all right, you have Myers Leonard um, on the squad already, and I am not a fan of Myers Leonard. But then I thought about it, well, you could always try to package Leonard with somebody like uh, Mo Harkless or Alan Crabb and, and get those guys out of there. But with Collins, one thing that kind of struck me, um, the analyst asked him, well, how in the world, since you you know didn't play a lot for Gonzaga, were you able to get drafted uh, so high? And he's like, oh, I don't know. And I'm like, you've <laughs> got to have a confident answer like when you do that. Now, I think that he's a versatile defender. Um, he has some good fundamentals, showed a lot more poise than I would think for a, for a 19, nearly 20-year-old. Um, good shooting potential. Thing is, is he's not the greatest athlete and – you know, makes a lot of mistakes, and then it's foul trouble. So I wonder if he's going to be able to stay on the floor um, for Portland, and I actually think they bring him along um, behind Vonley. Ed Davis will be healthy, um, and then obviously Yusuf Nurkic um, there. So he might be the fourth big, um, depending what they do with, with Myers Leonard. Yeah, it's going to be interesting to see how they just – flesh out their roster and what decisions they make because like I said they they are carrying um you know 12 guaranteed contracts already you know and they they don't have anybody lined up for two-way contracts or anything like that so it'll be interesting to see where the trailblazers go but now let's move on to their trading partners on draft night the sacramento kings kings with the fifth pick drafted De'Aaron fox i love this pick for the kings i'm not a big fox guy if you listen to me long enough anywhere whether it be the radio you read anything right i do not like point guards who can't shoot i think it makes everything else harder to build your roster when you have a point guard who can't shoot and Fox can't shoot. I don't buy what he said is I, I can shoot. I just didn't shoot it well. I, I don't think so. Um, and you know, for every Jason kid who learned how to shoot, there's a hundred guys who didn't. So we'll see. 
But that's it. I love it because they have Buddy Heald, who's going to be his backcourt partner, who can really shoot the ball. And I think that's mm-hmm. going to you know help. Um, they're going to play off each other really, really well. Fox can get to the rim. He's a tenacious driver. He's a good playmaker. He can score inside. He's really a good rebounder. He's a gets after it defensively. So I think the uh, Kings have a really nice makings of the backcourt there. Then they traded the 10th overall pick in that trade to the Portland Trailblazers, and they made two picks I really liked, too, when they got Justin Jackson out of North Carolina, and then they were the ones who gambled on Harry Giles at 20, the big man out of Duke. Giles battled injury problems all throughout high school, then um, on and off year with with Duke, missed uh, about half the season or so, um, and they didn't play that much when he did play. And then in the second round, they drafted Frank Mason out of Kansas, who immediately probably comes in in his Fox's backup. I love all four picks the Kings made. I think all four of them are great. I think all four of them fit. I love Giles' upside at 20. Giles could be a guy, we could look back at this, and if you don't know the history on it, you could look back at it in four years and be like, how in the world was this guy the 20th pick in the draft? That's how talented he is. But break it down for us, Pete. Your thoughts on the four Sacramento picks. I'm right there with you with Fox. I don't like point guards. I can't shoot either. Um, with Fox, though, I think um, his mechanics are not too bad, so he has the potential. But where he's going to excel right away is making smart plays defensively, get into guys. Um, the elite speed um, in transition is going to make a difference. And you're right, he's got Buddy Hield as his backcourt mate that's going to be able to put um, the ball in the hole. Um, and then don't forget that um, Bogdan Bogdanovich potentially is coming over in this season as well, who is an elite uh, shooting guard prospect. And they have Malachi Richardson, who didn't play a ton last year because um, he was hurt. So they have some options there um, at the two-guard spot. With with Jackson, right now he's their only small forward, or true small forward, I should say. Um, he improved the spot of shooting um, after changing his release. Um, not the greatest athlete and not, you know, great, you know, ball handler. But he makes quick decisions, and he's got a high basketball IQ, so um, I think he really does well. And then you said it best with Harry Giles. You could look back and say that, you know, he's, you know, a top pick, uh, should have been a top pick in this draft. But the knee injuries obviously are, are worrisome. Um, torn left ACL, MCL, meniscus in 2013, the right ACL in 2015, and then had another procedure in 2016. And I know from personal experience what two knee surgeries did to, to me um, and just, you know, being able to, to, you know, move laterally and stuff like that. So um, I wonder if that's going to, you know, do a lot for his ability long term. But if he does uh, pan out, the defensive potential there um, would be huge. And then obviously rebounding the ball, things like that, putbacks, he could potentially – uh, best case scenario, kind of be like an Amari Stoudemire type if he gained all his athleticism back. Um, if not, um, then I still think he's going to be a solid rotation player for Sacramento. And with Frank Mason, I was so excited to see him um, go to Sacramento because he's going to be the perfect backup, heady, reliable guard. I mean, he's a little bit small, but he's going to be able to run your team, doesn't turn the ball over a lot, so give him a, a great look and and I really give kudos to uh, Scott Perry 
um, the assistant GM, he had his hands all over this draft, um, I guarantee you, because it just fit with um, the moves they kind of made was the complete opposite of what Flooded Evots did last year. Yeah, absolutely. It's, um, you know, the fans in Sacramento, they should be smiling today and all the way through because they are they're on the right path. And it's been so long there that we could say that, and they really, really are. You know, and it all started with moving on from DeMarcus Cousins. It had to happen for them to reset, and they've done it in a big way. So I know you've got other commitments, so let's do speed round here. We only get a couple more teams to get through. San Antonio Spurs, they drafted Derek White and Jaron Blossom game, two seniors, 29th and 59th, the second-to-last pick in each round. I love Derek White. I think he is going to be really good for the Spurs. He could be their Danny Green replacement if they ultimately have to move him as they are attempting to clear maximum cap space to uh, play in the free agent market. I think White will be really good. Blossom game, I'm a little unsure of. I really liked his game last year. He shot it really, really well as a junior and then was a mess as a senior. Wasn't nearly as good um, as he was as a junior. So we're just going to have to see which one of those is true. If it's the second, or if, rather, if it's the first, it's the way he shot it as a junior, Spurs are going to have another rotation player, and we're going to be like, how, how does this keep happening, you know, with San Antonio? So, you know, White and Blossom game, the two seniors to the Spurs. Yeah, I think obviously White is the the draft sleeper that, that everybody kind of had on their board. Um, very good um, combo guard. He could do it all, you know, pass, shoot, and dribble. Um, of course, he goes to the Spurs, and they find a gym at the bottom of the first round. And then with Blossom Game, um, I think once he gets under Popovich, I think he'll be able to carve out um, a spot on the team. Um, I think he would end up earning it over someone. I think they had uh, Joel Anthony among their roster spot, so he could do better um, in that roster spot than you know Anthony could at, at his advanced stage. Obviously, I know it's big to you know to to wing more, but uh, Blossom Game, you know. It is potentially um, somebody that could thrive in the Spurs system. Yeah, and, you know, the Spurs, they're, they're not afraid to draft these older guys um, where a lot of other teams stay away from them. And what is really interesting is they they do it, and then everybody gets all, you know, panicky on these other teams, and the Spurs do it. And then for five or six years, we're like, man, the Spurs just nailed this guy. This guy's so good. You know, and then, you know, they, they just worry, you know, we'll worry about the guy's age down the line. We're not going to worry about it too much today. Now, maybe that'll change when they're not the Spurs and they have to, you know, rebuild. And But, you know, I, I don't see that on the horizon. So, we'll see. Toronto Raptors, they, they got the guy who a lot of people loved um I think it was Fran Fraschilla who said he was the sexy blogger pick. That's uh, OG Ananobi out of Indiana. He was the guy who got injured, but he was going into the draft. He was the uh, best 3 and D guy, really, teams had locked in, thought he'd be really good. Um, we will see, you know, as he's coming back from a torn ACL, there were there – were there were concerns that he's not recovering the way you really want to see. But then I heard from some other teams that were like, he's fine. He, and he'll be fine and, and ready to go. You know, he can defend, you know, really anywhere from two through four, you know, with very little concern. Um, what, what do you think about OG Ananobi to the Raptors? Well, he already is going to lock up minutes over Bruno Caboclo, who's <laughs> still probably two years away from being two years away. Two years away um, from being out of the NBA. Yeah, pretty much. Um, with Ananobi, 
obviously the defensive ability there with the long wingspan um, and the lateral quickness, if um, it's still where it was before the torn ACL, um, is what you know everybody is drooling over. Um, now the big thing is if he's able to um, shoot the ball. He has a very, very slow release, um, and he can't hit free throws. So he's limited on the offensive end. But that's not really what Toronto needs with DeMar DeRozan, potentially if Abaki comes back. Um, so Ananobi fits perfectly. I really thought he was going to go to um, the Denver Nuggets, a pick behind um, Toronto, but Tor- um, Toronto gets a steal with Ananobi. Yeah, that's what I had him pegged the same place as you to Denver. So we we will see you know what he does there. It's they, they could use a guy like him, especially if they don't want to extend uh, big money to PJ Tucker. He really could come in and take that PJ Tucker role and uh, you know probably excel in it. Then the Utah Jazz they they swung those two trades with Denver and Los Angeles. They come away from the draft with Donovan Mitchell, the guard out of Louisville, and Tony Bradley, the big man out of UNC. Brad. He's the easier one. He's a center prospect who will really develop behind Rudy Gobert. There's a couple people like, hey, might be able to play a little, little together. It's it's a lot like we said with the Heat with Whiteside and out of and uh, Bam Adebayo. It's not going to happen. They're not going to play next to each other. They're both you know pure centers. Um, so I would be shocked if we see ever see those two guys play minutes at the same time. But Mitchell's an interesting guy. He is a um, you know he he's one of those guards that um, if he can get past you know maybe a little bit of the lack of size because he's not the biggest guy in the world. He's only about six foot three. But if you can get past that, you fall in love with this guy because he's tough minded. He can go score the ball, and if the Jazz end up losing some guys, he can step right in and play, you know, big minutes if they keep their team together, meaning Gordon Hayward sticks around and they, they you know, really keep things going. Mitchell can can probably come in a bench role in his rookie year. I, I really like the pick for Utah. What about you? I, I love the pick because I think I actually had Mitchell um, slotted. I didn't know that Monk was going to fall um, where he did, so I thought that Mitchell would have been perfect um, with the Hornets or even one pick behind that going to uh, the Pistons. But um, the Jazz, you know, luck out and get him, um, especially if, if things happen, like you said, with um, George Hill. Um, you know, he can he can slot in their play point if he really had to, but he's more of a, a two-guard locked in defensively. If he can knock down shots, um, that's even going to be more of a plus. Um, Tony Bradley, offensive end, um, of, you know, getting – Getting boards is where he's going to thrive. Um, they had Jeff Withy last year kind of, you know, manning some some backup minutes there. Um, I think that Bradley is going to give them a little bit more upside than um, what they had with Trey Lyles because they soured on him. Um, and then lastly, um, Nigel Williams-Goss, I think he's a D-league guy. I don't, I don't think they find a spot on the roster. Too many point guards with Exum. Um, there and then you've got Neto and um, who's the other one? Mac, I think, um, is still there. And yeah, he's course, a free agent. He's probably probably going to be gone, but we'll see. Yeah, yeah. So I, I just don't see how um, Williams Goss carves out, carves out a role, but I think Mitchell um, gives them you know everything they need defensively. Um, and then another side of things too is um, Ronnie Hood could take on a little bit more of the ball handling. 
um, responsibilities um, if need be as well if something happened to um, George Hill. Obviously not starting at the point guard spot, but can handle the ball a little bit more than, than he had in the past. Yeah, for sure. And, you know, you 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 and I have been big Rodney Hood guys for mm-hmm. a number of years now, so that's that's definitely um, true there. So now let's close it out. We're we're there. We are at the end of this super deep dive that we did into the NBA draft. We're at the Washington Wizards. They traded their only pick, but they picked up Tim Frazier. Tim Frazier, as we said, he can play, and the Wizards' backup point guard spot has been a massive hole um, for years. Ever really, ever since John Wall got there, they've tried any number of guys in there. None of them seem to work, and I think they finally found somebody in Tim Frazier. I also like that Frazier and Wall could even play together for some minutes if they really needed to. Um, we've seen Bradley Beal miss time over the years. They needed to pair those two guys together, but I think they finally have that quality backup point guard that they've been missing. Yeah, with Frazier, we saw last year pairing in the backcourt with Holiday in New Orleans. Um, and with Frazier, the thing is, is he's not going to turn the ball over. Um, that's where the Wizards struggled this past year. They had Brandon Jennings back there. Jennings did nothing when he got to the Wizards. And then they tried Sadoransky as a point guard spot. That didn't go that great, so they shifted him to uh, the two and the three. We'll see what happens if he develops there. And then I think this signals the end of Trey Burke, um, not only in Washington, but I struggle to really find a spot for him in the NBA as a whole, but we'll have to see. Yeah, Trey Burke's going to go tear it up in China, probably be the next guy to average 40 points per game over there. And, you know, and I was wrong. I thought Trey Burke was going to be a player. I really did. Mm-hmm. I thought he was going to be a good good player. But that's it. We got there. We did all 30, Pete. We made it to the end. Yeah. Hey, tell everybody where they can find you on Twitter. Um, at Pete Toll, NBA on Twitter. Um, I'm always up for um, NBA discussion and, um, as the as the summer rolls forward, I'll, I'll be more active um, on Twitter as we get into free agency. Um, have um, some things kind of in the works uh, come the fall uh, to get back into the the podcasting world and um, really dive deep in, into this again. So this is this has been a great pleasure um, being on with you, Keith, and, and just talking some basketball again. Yeah, absolutely, man. I love always having you on the show. You, I, I, I went to you because I knew you would know these guys. I knew you'd do your prep work and, and probably mm-hmm. not even have to do too much of it because I already knew you were already no. ready to go. So, um, yeah. you know, so it's, uh, you know, always a pleasure. This has been the NBA Front Office Show. I am Keith Smith. You can find me on Twitter at KeithSmithNBA. Hit me up with any feedback about the show. If you're really enjoying the show, please head over to iTunes and give us a five-star rating and review. It really does help out the show. Again, the NBA Front Office Show, part of the Almighty Baller Network, and we will talk to you next time. Hey, your feet wet? My feet are wet. Here's the drain plug. You put the plug in the drain, right? Ah, it's on the dock. There's a reason they say cursed like a sailor. Ah, Many reasons. Progressive's boat insurance has you covered. Quote today at progressive.com. 
Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. And now, an ad from Dad. Save money on car insurance when you bundle home and auto with Progressive. Yeah. Tell you another way to save money. Don't buy those uh, expensive coffees every morning, you know. Then you can save up for a, I don't know, really nice dress shirt. I'm just saying. It's great that you feel comfortable here at work, but, you know, an adult could walk in. Progressive can't save you from becoming your parents, but we can save you money when you bundle home and auto. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company affiliates and other insurers. Discounts not available in all states or situations.